Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. This week's films are The Punisher and The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Anyone showing up with a skull on their front or a shell on their back gets 10% off at the concession stand. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to themidnightdrivein at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food or drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. Dirty diapers aren't gross. I feel obligated to defend things that smell like dirty diapers, because sometimes that's probably me. Better get yourself a diaper genie, son. I have a diaper genie, of course I do. Good, keep that shit locked away. Doesn't always... Doesn't always do as good a job as you like. Has your has your diaper genie broke yet? No. There's there's generally three stages of people who have new kids. Stage one is they're real excited because they got the diaper genie. Uh, stage two is a lot of the time they don't use the diaper genie even though they have the diaper genie. And then the third stage is God damn it, we broke this expensive ass diaper genie. <laughs> <laughs> We are at the, we bought one, we use it. Oh, you're That's still in stage all. one. That's the diaper genie honeymooner period. <laughs> well, I mean, the kid's over a year old, so I mean, that's, that's pretty good so far. Yeah, it is pretty good. Well, as the kid gets older, you need the diaper genie more, not less, because yeah. things get things get worse. Yeah. It's, that's why my kids are going to come out uh, already potty trained, so... That's a really good idea. I should have thought of that. I'll tell you what, my brother and uh, his wife did the potty train from birth thing, and uh, it actually works really well. It's weird. I didn't even know that was a thing. Well, you're not really potty training the baby from birth. You're training the parents to hold the baby near a toilet. Ah, interesting. But, yeah, you like you. It's like after you feed the baby, you you physically set the baby on the toilet. And just hold them there, just for a couple seconds. And, like, they don't have to go or anything. You just do it. And it's got something to do with it. It alleviates, like, the anxiety that kids have about being afraid of the toilet whenever they're first learning. Ah, gotcha. Because they're already used to it. Like, my my nephew, he was, like, done with diapers at one. And that's the youngest I've ever seen, like... Yeah, what's your problem, Doug? Oh, my kid has no fear of the toilet. Don't worry. <coughs> <laughs> we put a lock on that motherfucker, and the kid broke it off. <laughs> he, just, he just doesn't want to dirty up the water because he has nothing to play in. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure he's throwing lots of stuff in there. Yeah. We now, like, if, if I'm home alone and I want to take a shower, I have to put, like, duct tape on the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, oh, families. 
Gross. All right, so uh, as you're uh, listening to this, um, the Punisher has been out for a couple days. We decided it would be good to sort of revisit the very first cinematic appearance of the Punisher. Uh, And we needed to figure out something to team that up with. So we figured, why not another gritty uh, comic book movie from around the same time? So we went with the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, which, as you'll find, maybe gritty is not the correct word, but you get the, you get the idea. It's gritty uh, compared to the cartoon. They they do both true. feature the uh, the 80s and 90s version of New York, where everything is constantly wet and dirty. Is Punisher in New York? For some reason, I was thinking L.A., but I really yeah, wasn't that close of attention. It's Either way, filmed, it's filmed in Sydney, Australia, which does not look like New York. Or yeah, Australia. yeah. Technically, it's an exploitation movie. <laughs> okay, so there you go. I think I think it really stands out that they are not in New York <laughs> when they get going. It's, I mean, that's maybe yeah. nitpicking that the town doesn't look right, but yeah. Well, no, I know you're <laughs> you're a ginormous fan of the Punisher. No, so why don't, you give it, why don't you give us a rundown on what The Punisher is all about? Uh, the Punisher, a.k.a. Frank Castle, is on a one-man mission of vigilante justice taking out uh, criminals after the uh, death of his wife and, and or child slash children, depending on which version it is. I do believe in this one he had one child, but they hardly ever talk about it, so it's very nonspecific. Uh, in in this particular version, Frank is going after the mafia, but after a freak series of events, uh, the Yakuza actually show up to take over the mafia's turf, in the process kidnapping the children of all of the mafia heads in order to control them. One of the mafia heads then kidnaps Castle's friends and family and forces Castle to work with him in order to save his child from the Yakuza. Wow, when you say it like that, there's lots of kidnapping in this movie. It's a lot of kidnapping in this movie. Uh, all right, so I will say the only thing that really makes this a Punisher movie is at the beginning they say like, "Oh yeah, he was a cop, but his family was killed, and now he's on a one man one man wrecking spree." Other than that, it pretty much is just a sort of an '80s action movie. I I would say actually, it's a lot. It's got a lot more Punisher stuff in it than I remember it having. Because I was thinking that that whenever before the rewatch, I was thinking that you know it has nothing to do with the Punisher, and they just kind of use the name. Yeah. But really, it's got like there's their name drops, and they kind of gloss over the origin story. But that's fine. I mean. Who, who wants another well, origin say, story movie? That's kind of one of the things I was kind of happy with. We didn't have a direct origin in this movie. Because that's, I, I don't know. Well, I, I can kind of agree that it's good that there's no like long, drawn-out origin story. Yeah. But I feel they could have paid more attention to it. <coughs> so at least the character would have some motivation throughout the film. Sure. And the other thing is, if you're not going to do the origin story... We ha- and we have to still establish the character, then he should have spent more time being the Punisher before he goes through his 
oh, I'm using air quotes, like his emotional journey and decides he has to start saving people instead of killing people. Like mm. he, he should have been the Punisher for a little while. We should have seen more than a couple of scenes of him shooting at people. I, I do like the fact that they start him with a pretty high body count. They're like, he's already murdered 125 people that we know about. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, the la- the first five minutes of the movie is essentially the last five minutes of his origin story. Yeah. Uh, where he, I don't know, I get. I mean, it's the first five minutes, so spoiler, whatever. It, he kills he kills the mob boss that's responsible for his family being killed. And then he's like, alright, well, that's done. And then like this whole other story starts unfolding. It really I think it relies heavily on you knowing who the Punisher is going in in order to appreciate this yeah. as a Punisher story at all. I bet yeah, if you had no idea who the Punisher was, you would be very confused as to why the movie starts with an ending. You almost expect it to be like, and then we flash back like three weeks earlier and we see we follow him through the story to the, to revisit that ending yeah. yeah which is weird for that uh uh t- that time period because they were it doesn't seem like they would just rely on the audience already knowing sort of what was going on yeah but we'll and we'll get into this with Ninja turtles as well we're following the template of superhero movies at that time you start with the character already in existence, flashback to give you the origin, move on to them fighting the bad guy in the movie. And that's basically, yeah. I mean, if, if you go like Tim Burton's Batman and whatever other examples you can come up with, that's what superhero movies were at this time. Mm-hmm. So should we dive right into the very worst part of this entire movie? Sure. Sure. What's up with that painted on five o'clock shadow that they put on Dolph Lundgren? What? <laughs> Whose idea was that? Who thought that was okay? Well, they saw a picture of the comic book. Like he obviously has to have it. I'm, I'm just, yeah. In, in this day and age of people like flipping out about gender swapping and uh, you know changing the race and stuff on characters, this one they went so far as to spray paint five o'clock shadow onto the guy. Because he's blonde. They were like, no, this doesn't look exactly comic book accurate. Ah, there we go. These nice, <laughs> these nice hard lines look completely natural. In, in case we have any upcoming <laughs> filmmakers out there and you want to know a better way to give a guy a dark five o'clock shadow is would be to dye his hair the appropriate color rather than just using spray paint on a guy's face and expecting us to believe that that is a beard because it's not are you saying that you didn't believe in hulk hogan's five o'clock shadow beard during the nwo invasion come on i believe that anyways that would have been more believable than what we got in this movie because it (laughs) it literally looks like whatever that shit that women use when they remember this used to be a trend where they'd shave their eyebrows and draw new eyebrows on yeah that's what it looks like this guy did he shaved his face every morning then drew his five o'clock shadow in it's just it and the funny thing is it it sounds like such a little joke but it's so pervasive and and so obvious that it actually affects the movie because you're like trying to pay attention to other stuff that's going on that's actually pretty interesting and cool and every time his face pops up you're like oh there it is again god damn it (laughs) (laughs) well what's funny about that too is it makes him seem like an unreal an unreal character in this movie that is clearly trying to be like what would happen if the Punisher existed in the real world that's that's the angle they're playing right and it's like well then don't make him look like a cartoon 
that's that's a bad move. Yeah. Um, as I was doing research about it, I did find out about a, a bunch of cool stuff that I was like, oh, well, I wish they would have shot that better so you could actually know that. Like, a bunch of the more protracted fight scenes that are between, like, two people instead of the big groups are, like, full contact people hitting each other. Oh. Because I get across that good. Yeah, well, because the guys they uh, hired to do it, like, didn't even speak English, and they were, uh, I'm going to say karate, but I know that's not correct, but they're, like, actual champions, and they considered it, like, an insult to have to, like, fake hitting people. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. so, so they're legit slapping each other around in those fight scenes. Well, I was going to say, I think some of the fight scenes are are not good. And I think that might be why. Because real fight scenes aren't going to look as good as pretend ones. That's why they do the pretend fight scenes, so that all sorts of crazy shit can happen. Yeah, well, I think think what they were trying to do, they were trying to go for that, that gritty realism that something like, in the future, John Wick would do. Yeah. They just did it wrong. If yeah, that makes sense, like I, I don't fault them. Yeah, I don't fault them for trying it because it was a good idea. It just didn't work. Yeah, um, I had another point to make, but I completely forgot what it was. Uh, Dolph Lundgren's ass, which is weirdly present in this movie, like, and, and it's like, and it's the beginning and the end. The, the circle, the, the capstone of the film is Dolph Lundgren's naked ass. I, I did notice that myself, and I, I'm like, first of all, it, that doesn't feel very punishery to me that he's, like, praying in the sewers. Yeah, yeah. But, but like, putting that aside, like, and just saying, okay, they, they weren't being comic book accurate here. I don't know why you just randomly edited in the nakedness. It seemed completely unnecessary. Uh, wasn't this around the same time as Universal Soldier? Maybe they're just trying to get on that maybe Dolph Lundgren naked ass train. And like I said, like I said, as far as the comic books go, I I don't have a lot to complain about this representation of the Punisher because I think it's pretty accurate. Like the Punisher doesn't crack as many like one liner jokey type things that this one does. But but that's the biggest complaint. I mean, he doesn't have the skull on the shirt, but he does have the skull on the knives. So that's kind of cool. I mean, at least they worked it in. Yeah, but I think one of the problems I had with this movie was that tonally they were going for gritty realism, and then they would have the knives with the skulls on it. And that's where I'm like, if you're going for realistic, then... Where is he getting skull like knives with the with the skulls carved into the end? Like that doesn't really make any sense. Yeah. But if you're if you're going for like okay, it's a comic book movie, so he has cool weapons, then put him in the shirt. Like it, it seems contradictory to have one and not the other. Yeah, there's a lot of weird. In in most of my complaints about this movie are so unjustified. Like I feel <laughs> like I feel like the there should have been like more killing and violence. This movie's got a huge body count. Like, it's got an on-screen body count of, like, 94. 
And that doesn't include, like, people in the background getting blown up and shit. Like, an on-screen, you see a motherfucker die at 94. <laughs> that is a good body count. <laughs> like, That's an excellent body count, and I give them credit for that. But none of those felt like real kills, though, right? Most of them are guy you've never met takes a bullet in the background and falls down. Yeah, right? yeah. I feel like it should have been more visceral maybe like the opening scene was really good the opening scene where he kills all the guys in the house and like hangs the guy and all that that's that's what the whole movie should have been like yeah and that goes away pretty fast when it gets to the second big fight scene which is on the docks and so the yakuza has shown up to try to take out the mob guys and punisher is also there to take him out and he does (laughs) the cartoonish like ride a zip line in while just shooting at everybody <laughs> thing and it's like at that yeah. point you kind of go like I think you need to correct yourself where he shoots an arrow through a guy into a van and then uses that as his zip line all the way down I apologize for my uh, <laughs> inaccuracy um, uh, so you're correct but it, it's just it is like again very inconsistent whereas that first scene where he's like falling from the ceiling and pulling guys up and doing the, that cool sort of yeah. hidden thing and letting himself be seen just a little bit by the press so that they'll tell his story but not close enough that they can see his face and find out who he is and he's kind of being all mysterious and that was cool and then you turn around and it's okay this is an 80s action movie they just couldn't get Arnold Schwarzenegger so they hired the poor man's Arnold Schwarzenegger to do this Stunt of Actually, I'm trying to remember who there. There was another actor that was slotted to be Punisher and couldn't do it because he got injured, and I cannot, for the life of me, remember who it was. Well, I mean, whether it was meant to be Arnold Schwarzenegger or not, they certainly did the types of scenes, the types of action that we would have expected from Schwarzenegger at this time. Oh, for sure. Um, right up, right down to when he ends up breaking into that casino later and just firing that big gun that no human being can actually hold on to with one hand, and he's just <laughs> shooting up all the machinery and stuff. And you're like, that's straight out of Commando or something. But the tone of this movie is not the tone of Commando, so it's not really working because you're you're expected to buy into this gritty realism and give a shit about these characters, and then the action sequences are not consistent with that. Uh, it says Dolph Lundgren did most of his own stunts, though. I believe that. There are a whole lot of big stunt moments in this movie. I mean, shooting a gun isn't really a stunt, right? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. Um, Louis Casa Jr., were you excited? To see that guy from Iron Eagle in this movie? I was excited to see <laughs> Louis Gust Jr. I love that guy. I think he's really good at playing this one type of character that he plays. <laughs> a very specific <laughs> type of character. I mean, in this movie, he's a cop instead of a military guy. Those are about the only two ways that, that character works. But he's, a, he's fine in the role. I find the role is just very stereotypical 80s, which is, again, fine. Yeah. That's what this movie is. It, it really is a, a very 80s movie. Um, I thought the 
the whole thing with like he gets his new partner and it's like what what is this did every like every cop had no partner and then they forced a partner upon him in the 80s that's how it worked where were they getting all these partners to force upon people if nobody wanted to work with a partner uh michael michael Paré, perry yeah michael Paré, and he was the original choice and apparently we know him from the philadelphia experiment the Vir- virgin suicides and the lincoln lawyer and i'm we sure know him else. from other people he, might know he, him he was also in streets of fire <laughs> he was in bad moon <laughs> oh he was the brother in bad moon okay that makes yeah, a lot of yeah, sense yeah. He was the literal werewolf in Bad Moon. Spoiler alert. <sighs> yeah. All right. That makes me feel better. <laughs> you're, you're okay with that? I guess. I don't know. All right. um, he does look... He looks more like Frank Castle than Lundgren does. Yeah. yeah. Makes, the stuff I was reading, it sounds like Lundgren threw a lot of, like weight behind this he really really wanted this to be a big thing like i guess yeah. he would he was going days without sleeping to get those bags under his eyes to make frank look all stressed out and crazy <laughs> and, and he does i mean he, other than the painted on beard i would say lundgren looks really really good as castle yeah i mean he doesn't look bad it's just i don't know it's kind of a weird weird movie i guess i don't know he, There's he just something about it that doesn't feel like the Punisher to me. It's because his I look think... is so generic. Like, he could be any guy from any movie. Yeah. I mean, the black boots, the black pants, the leather jacket, yeah. that haircut. Maybe. It's all just... I mean, he, he looks like... Yeah, he pretty much... Guys if, if, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if you, don't, if you don't slap the skull on the shirt, it's just a guy in black clothing. I mean, that's... <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I bet, yeah, if he had, like, a leather jacket with a skull on the front of it, I would be much happier with everything, but I don't know. Yeah, the funny thing is, I feel like this movie should have been better than what it was. Like, it's actually a pretty good Punisher story. I mean, all in all, him happening to, like, go in with a another bad guy in order to save the guy's kid from the Yakuza. Yeah, yeah, all right. I can I can take it. You know what I mean? It's 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 a silly yeah. plot, but I mean it's a comic book movie, so I don't I'm not gonna yeah. begrudge it a silly plot device. Even just in general I feel like it just saving the children of all the mob bosses. Essentially all of his enemies he's saving their children. That's yeah. that's like that's a yeah. great idea. Yeah. Yeah the the core of that, but I think maybe having that having him go in there twice and save kids twice was maybe a little too much. Yeah. Um, and it, again, I think the, the biggest problem is that we didn't spend enough time with him as the Punisher. So there's like this turn in his character, but it's not, we haven't established the character yet. The turn comes out, comes to an, like a, a blank slam. Yeah. So it's not really a character turn. We don't know how badass he's supposed to be telling us that he killed 125 if, people. It's not good enough. We need to see that. If I understand it, there's, there's quite a bit of cut material in the film. And there's actually three different print versions of it. If you buy the uh, the Blu-ray that's available for it, supposedly it's got all three, and the work print is better than probably what we watched. Yeah, I have heard that, but that nobody uploaded the work print to YouTube, so I have not seen it. <laughs> yeah, I do plan. I plan on buying this one. I just didn't. I couldn't get it before we we were doing it. So uh, I would say this. I think at the end of the day, this 
this film should have been good. It's the, this is one of those ones. This falls right on the director. The director fucked it up. Like he didn't. It's not shot well enough. It's not edited well enough. It's not like that. The action set pieces are big enough that they should have been really, really cool, especially for an '80s schlocky movie like this was. So the fact that they're not exciting is a huge black mark against him. He fucked it up. Like the actors didn't fuck it up. He fucked it up. Well, here's an interesting thing. You brought up the you brought up the editing as a problem. The director of this edited a lot of much better movies. <laughs> if you go to his IMDb page, which I did, he like he edited everything from Terminator, Commando, a bunch of comic book movies. Like he's done a lot of work. Showgirls. Yeah. I mean, not, he's, I don't. So I don't necessarily I don't understand. In, no, no, not, I, not necessarily I'm, in the uh, the technical parts of the editing. I mean, like. The, just the way the film was arranged. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, like but, it but doesn't I mean, have a good flow to it. If he's if he's a, a known editor and he's the director, you'd think he'd have the control to fix that. And you're right; it, it is on it is on him. And I would put it on the writer as well to have put emphasis on the wrong parts of the story. We don't know what the script looked like before they filmed it, but I, I feel like yeah, okay, there are some good action set pieces, but if they don't feel like they're consequential. They don't feel like they're a result of the scene you saw before. Then what's the point of them? And they're they're not good enough that you just go like. Sometimes when you're watching a movie and the action is just so good that you go, "Fuck, I don't care why that happened. I'm just glad I got to see it." Nothing like that happens in this movie. It's all just okay action. And so it needs to be. You need to care about when the people die. You need to care that they die. I mean, there's what is it in the second fight scene? Punisher takes like a, a knife and falls into the the river, and then of course he has to do like the typical eighties like burn himself to cauterize the wound or whatever and all that stuff. But it's like, what are we supposed to believe the Punisher died in that moment? Like, it's so sloppily done that it's like we don't see him escape, but we obviously know he's not going to die. So, what are they trying to accomplish with that shot? Like, it, it's I don't know. It's just. The film just needed to be made better. <laughs> it's hard to explain. <laughs> like, yeah. just just it, take the same basic storyline. Like, yeah, it, but make sure we give a shit about the character before he has to go through that emotional drama of deciding whether to save those kids. Mm-hmm. Have more than one scene where he's dealing with that because we have his like homeless guy that gets him all his information. We have no idea where the homeless guy gets this information from. He just shows up and gives us exposition when we need him to. And he just gives him like this lecture about you got to save the kids. And Punisher's like, do not, I'm not saving those kids. And then one scene later, he's saving the kids. Yes, I guess I better go do it. <laughs> steals a bus to go in. He steals a bus, even though he only ends up saving like six kids. It's like, he really didn't need a bus for that. But it's well, all not going to fit on his motorcycle, Doug. Yeah, but he could have stole like a van. <laughs> Anyways, oh, that's that's not we should. He he does he does have a super bitchin' motorcycle. Oh sure, that's the other thing is like this movie goes for. And I'm kind of jumping around with my criticisms of this movie, but it goes for the <laughs> it goes for the gritty realism, and then it's like he just has access to hundreds of guns with no explanation. The knives I already mentioned, I had a problem with the, the fact that his clothes are always clean, even though he lives in a sewer. The fact that he's got this cool motorcycle, but we never see him do anything that would even come close to hurting him gas money. It's like, 
if you're going to do gritty realism, he should be living like a fucking slob if he's going to live in the sewers. He shouldn't be clean and shouldn't have brand new things. And we should see him stealing the guns or whatever, getting them however he gets them. I guess I'm, I'm nitpicking, but it, it bugged me that this film didn't know whether it was a serious dark movie or a lighthearted action movie. It didn't see yeah, exactly. It it suffers. It suffers from mediocrity. They tried to. I feel like it's one of those movies that they tried to be too pleasing to too many audiences and ended up just making a boring movie. Yeah, because if they just made this a Punisher movie, like if if he's wearing the Punisher uniform, I think we stop asking a lot of the questions about why the like where does he get his guns. I think that question goes away the minute he's got a skull on his shirt. Because it's like, okay, he's the Punisher. Of course, he has guns. Probably yeah, yeah, he's yeah, he's, think, he's the guy with the fucking skull know, on his shirt. If, yeah. if, if you were like when you were, I think one of you guys when you were watching it all of a sudden messaged the other two and said like, "Hey, what the fuck are the Yakuza doing in this movie? Like, where did that happen?" And it's like, well, they're obviously a stand-in for the hand. Just make them the fucking hand then. Like, and and then all the again, a lot of these questions about why are they behaving this way goes away because they're comic book villains at that point not a real life organization that we're trying to comment on. And it's just, a lot of that is just, they, well, they refused I, to I, they didn't commit to one version of the movie or the other. And they ended up with something in the middle that isn't great to watch. I think that they were Yakuza specifically because in the early nineties, there was like a, uh, a run of Yakuza movies where the Yakuza's were the bad guy and fucking everything. Yeah. And, what, and once again, yeah, and once again, mediocrity. They just they did the same fucking thing. Andy Andy fucking Sidaris could have <laughs> directed this movie and made it like cheesy as shit, and it would have been a better movie because it would have been more fun. Yeah, and that I mean that's the thing is when you make a movie that's not fun, then it has to be to work as a serious film. And yeah. this, this one ends up kind of straddling the middle. It's, Interesting that you brought up the fact that there was a, a lot of Yakuza movies too, though, because one of the interesting things about making them the, the Yakuza is you do end up with this, looking at this film from today's perspective, it's very, very racist in that it's almost like the Ita- the Italian-American criminals are a more acceptable version of criminal than the Japanese criminals. <laughs> it, is, it is very much like... Solid. It, and I mean, like, it's very strange the way that that plays out where you're like, well, you made these criminals so weak that these other criminals came in and took their kids. It's like, well, isn't the problem here that they're all criminals? Like, why are we blaming, like, why are we blaming the Punisher for this? Like, shouldn't you just not be criminals? Wouldn't that have solved the problem? <laughs> but it, it is kind of like the, we're supposed to feel bad for the mafia for losing their territory to the Yakuza. And I'm like, I, I don't feel that bad for them. Yeah. Stop I, being organized crime. I, I will say that for all the gripes that I have about this movie, it does have a lot of moments that are like genuinely pretty awesome. I think the the torture scene is the legitimately cool Punisher moment, especially when they're like, you know, oh, you won't cave while we're torturing you. We're going to torture this guy, you know. And he pretty much goes, meh. <laughs> And I really, really not not the ending ending with naked Dolph Lundgren again, but the the actual end bit with the uh, the betrayal and the guy's son and all that kind of stuff. I actually like that ending. That's a cool 
ending. Well, yeah, I mean, you don't want it to end it with the mobster and Dolph, like, giving each other a nod and then going their separate ways. Fist bumping and walking <laughs> off into the distance. Yeah. Well, I was I was thinking more along the lines of him threatening the kid, basically. Him being like, if you want to kill me, kill me. You know, you deserve it. I just murdered oh, your dad. Gotcha. I, I get vengeance. You know what I mean? And But then after the kid doesn't do it, he goes, grow up to be a good man. Because if you don't, I'll be waiting for you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought that was a really cool moment. I almost think the movie should have ended on that moment. Yeah, it no, should have. Not, yeah, why, why follow him back into the sewers and all that? Um, other than just got to get that one more ass shot in, which I I didn't feel was necessary, but I guess that's what I'm <laughs> um, So I did read that the apparently the work print is 15 minutes longer. And there actually is like the origin at the beginning of the movie rather than just flashbacks. Well, there we go. Yeah. Which apparently you can get on Blu-ray for like 18 bucks, And it's an import, but apparently, even though it says Region B on it, it'll still play in American Blu-ray players, if anybody's interested. Yeah, and I would say for, for as much as like I've complained and made fun of this movie, this is still a recommend. It's not a bad movie. And if you're a fan of The Punisher, it's not a terrible Punisher movie. It's just not as good as some of the other offerings there are. <laughs> I still need to go watch Warzone. I didn't watch it when it came out. I like Warzone a lot, but you have to like cartoony Punisher to like it. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I think my problem was I was hoping it would be with Warzone. I just thought it was, it, I, it was supposed to be the R-rated one. I didn't expect it to be cartoony. And I only saw it the once, and I just I didn't get into it because of that. Yeah, there's there's like three or four moments in that movie that are the most like comic book accurate Punisher moments. The uh, the shotgun, goddamn it, castle thing that happens. That's about as comic book accurate as you get. Hmm. I don't yeah. know. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll rewatch it one day, but yeah. It's not bad. They just went. They just went a weird way. I was really excited when they were going to do Jigsaw as the bad guy because the Punisher only has like three or four really, really good villains that aren't other people's villains. Yeah. And Jigsaw is one of them. Hmm. Um, I was going to say something else. I forgot. I don't know. Uh, so. What does everybody think of the upcoming uh, Punisher series from Netflix? Are we excited? Yeah. Yeah, I literally just watched the trailer while I was waiting for you guys to jump onto the call. And I'm super excited for it. Yeah. So I I really liked the, the Punisher character when he showed up in the Daredevil series. I think mm-hmm. he's well cast. I think he was well presented. I'm shocked at how far they were willing to go with allowing him to be violent um, in a Marvel property. I'm, yeah. You know, with Disney owning Marvel, the big fear was that they'd screw it up, and apparently they're letting them do what they want to do, which is great. I I always find it interesting that they're trying to uh, do do the thing that typically ruins Punisher stuff, and that's attempting to justify anything that he does. Because in the comic books, there's a real important thing: the, the Punisher is. They always say anti-hero, and that's not correct. He's not. He's he's a super villain. Like that's the whole thing. He is a bad guy. 
doing bad things, and even Frank knows the things that he's doing are bad. He just does them anyway. Yeah. Which is what makes his character compelling. But whenever you try to soften him and make him a really sympathetic character, it's always a bad idea because you send weird mixed messages about what he's doing. Yeah, and I'm hoping they don't go too far with playing up the sympathy angle in this series. Um, I think we want to understand his motivations, but we don't necessarily want to get behind him at any point in time. And that's maybe partially why he worked so well in the Daredevil series, because he had that counterpart. And but they, there was a moment I think in the in the Daredevil series where they sort of came to this weird conclusion that like and, uh, I forget exactly how they worded it. Basically, you know, if you do things the way that Frank does it, it's just flat out wrong, and everybody knows it's wrong, and you shouldn't do it that way. But if you keep doing things the way the Daredevil does it, it doesn't work, and you accomplish nothing. So there is no real solution to the villain problem. It's just you're just going to either. Either you have to be a horrible human being, or you have to just keep fighting them forever, and it never the problem will never be solved. And yeah. that is a dark thought, and I love the fact that they're willing to go that dark with it. It makes me think that they're willing to go as dark as Punisher needs to go in order to be what I want it to be, which is like a very dark comic book type thing. In the in the comic books, they even take it one step further than that because the, a lot of season uh, two of Daredevil is like comic book stuff that happens. I'm trying to remember exactly what the name of the comic book is, but the scene where Daredevil's like chained to the chimney is straight out of the comic book. Yeah, although, although the conversation's a little different, but in the comic books, they even go to the point of basically trying to say that Daredevil or not Daredevil Punisher has Batman syndrome. In, in which the problem is always escalation, that sure, his his solutions are permanent, but they're only permanent to the people who he kills. All he does is make more villains because he's killing people, which just motivates even more people to kill more people and so on and so forth. And that it's a, it's a never-ending cycle of escalation that eventually the only answer to stop it is it's kind of like a gang war. Well, both sides are bad. So Frank has to die and the bad guys have to die. Yeah. But, uh, but I think that that is a message that might be very relevant in today's world to the whole, uh, the, the escalation message. And I think that maybe they will throw that in there. They seem to be willing to have some political commentary built into their shows. And, you know, it, even if it, it won't hit you over the head because they, they want to make sure they appeal to a very wide audience, but they might just be willing to have that filtered in, which is going to make it more interesting to watch. Yeah. Well, I think the interesting thing is like these Marvel shows don't have to worry about a box office number. Um, right. Obviously, there is some sort of number they have to hit what that number is for what like uh, we us plebeians don't know, but um, so it's, I guess that grants them a little bit more freedom since they don't have a wide-ranging box office goal to hit, so it kind of lets them do a little bit more risky stuff, which I think we've seen across pretty much all of the uh, all of the now, Marvel shows they put out. I'm, I'm interested with the fact that Disney basically just announced that after the currently slated shows are done, that it's going to their streaming service. Ugh, How that's going to affect the shows? Because I'll be 100% honest, 
if I was Netflix, I would spite fuck the shit out of those shows. I would make them garbage and unwatchable. Just well, to just to fuck Disney right in their face. I don't feel that Netflix is going to do that because they'd be taking themselves down in the process. But the one thing I would say is, you know, Disney is in charge of Star Wars now, and if you listen to the interviews with the people who made Rogue One, they had originally written a happy ending to that movie on the assumption that Disney's not going to let us kill everybody. And Disney was like, no, 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 kill everybody if that's what's logical for the story. So that's how we ended up with a nuclear blast killing our hero characters at the end of that movie. So if they're willing to do that, I don't know why they wouldn't be willing to stay dark with the the Netflix stuff. Oh. Or the called Netflix stuff anymore. I, I have no I have no doubt whatsoever that the shows on their streaming network uh, won't be good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Disney's pretty much proven that they understand their IPs enough to like to do well by them. My problem is I know almost assuredly that that streaming service is going to be $30 a month. And and yeah. fuck them right in their face because I ain't paying it. You know what I mean? I get Disney screws you on everything. I I actually posted a thing on Facebook the other day. Of, I was in uh, Walmart and they have re-released a bunch of the Marvel movies now, and they're twenty three dollars for the Blu-ray. No special features. No no anything. Just ten dollars more than every other re-release that's in there, for just because it's Disney. In which, f- fuck them. I- Iron Man's fucking 10 years old. There's no fucking reason it should cost more than a new release. Unless it's like some Criterion Collection 10,000 hours of special feature shit. <laughs> I, remain, I remain hopeful that being Canadian will finally work to my advantage and that the Disney service won't be available here. So all that stuff will have to get dumped on some other platform for the Canadian market. And we'll be able to see it cheaper. <laughs> Foiled again. Our American citizenship. (laughs) Damn it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, at least we don't have health insurance. Oh, damn it. (laughs) At least we don't have a dreamy leader. Oh. Fuck. (laughs) Yes, right over there. No. Just want to finish our discussion of the Punisher movie. Oh, stuff keeps getting worse, though. So, so, what about you guys? Is, is Punisher recommend? Uh, I guess I'm not. I wasn't super in love with it the very first time I watched it. I would say I was not super in love with it this time. Like I said, I mean, it's if you are a big fan of just '80s action movies, it definitely works in that vein. But as a Punisher movie, I'm not sure I completely. Uh, I'm in love with that. Yeah, and I, I think I'm kind of I'm similar to you. I think it's it's okay as an action movie. I think it's okay as a Punisher movie. Um, it's not good as either one. But if you're like a huge Punisher fan, it's I don't think you're going to be angry when you watch this. And if you're a huge action movie fan, you'll probably enjoy this movie. There is some good action sequences, and you're not going to care about the lack of character motivations and stuff that bugs me um, but I mean if, if you're a big Punisher fan there are better Punisher movies to watch if you're a yeah. big 80s action movie fan there are better 80s action movies to watch so it depends how much free time you got if you work your way down to this one I would say so yeah. I would almost argue not by much 
because each each one of the Punisher reiterations has improved on certain things and completely dropped the ball on other things. So I almost feel like they're all equally good and equally bad as far as the Punisher is concerned. Maybe with the exception of the Bernathal Punisher so far. I don't I don't really have any complaints about anything that's happened yet. Mm. We'll see. Maybe the show will change my mind. But... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm excited for the show, but I always said that I don't know if Punisher would be a really good series to like run on its own. And I'm hoping I'm wrong. Um I always thought the smart thing to do would be to do a, a much lower episode run for the Punisher, but then break it up into separate arcs. So usually, well, at the current rate, Marvel has what about two? Two of the Netflix series comes out each year. Yeah. Um, so I figured, like, if they did, if they broke the episode run down to like six episodes, or even five episodes. Don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. And you have, um, and you run the Punisher sort of between the big series they're bringing out. So you can still tell a pretty decent Punisher story in like five episodes, but you're not beholden to, well, we need to fill up, you know, 10 episodes for this season. So we're going to have to throw in some weird filler episodes. See, I don't. I've this never understood that attitude. What's What's the idea be, behind the filler? If you've got these writers who can obviously write a good story, mm-hmm. why not just make all the episodes good episodes instead of having weird filler episodes? Well, because I think they're obligated to a certain number of episodes, and uh, I mean that may not be the case. Defenders was only what eight episodes, which I was surprised with. Um. Yeah, so, and it was too short. Yeah. So I feel like they feel like they have a, you know, they have to fill out this many episodes, but the story we're going to tell is only going to fill, you know, seven episodes. So we have to come up with like two or three episodes, which are just kind of filler territory because we don't have anything that we can tell that's not going to detract from what we're already doing or whatever. I don't, I don't know. See, but that's what I'm saying. I feel like that's weird. I don't. I, f- I feel like now with the, uh, especially with the streaming services, they should just write it. And however many episodes it comes out to, that should be like the pitch. So oh, yeah. if it's an odd number, like like 11 episodes, it should just be fucking 11 episodes. There's no reason to like. Oh, yeah. I'm totally on board show. with that. Totally on board with that. I'm but, actually- but I also don't want them cutting them down like, like they did with Defenders. Defenders, they dropped it to eight and it wasn't enough. Like it. It ended up being rushed, and a whole lot of things that you felt like were really building up to something cool ended up getting flushed into the toilet. <laughs> yeah, but this is coming down to that magic formula that we don't know what it is, but Netflix has, they're willing to put X amount of dollars into a show to get X amount of time of people watching, assuming that so many people are going to watch it, and if they get too few people watching it or too few hours to watch or they spend too much money then it screws up that formula right we don't know what that formula is exactly but there's got to be one yeah Yeah, unfortunately Uh it is a business I wish it was not I wish that they were just doing this out of the kindness of their heart making this awesome Marvel giant cinematic universe that's been going on for a decade now but 
they're doing it for they're doing it for the dollars, and that's why we're seeing the movies trend towards the Guardians of the Galaxy style movie because that's what made the most money for them recently. That's why we're seeing the Netflix shows be a certain length is because somebody figured out that that's the length it needs to be so that people will watch the whole thing and enjoy it, but not feel like they didn't get enough or something. I don't, I, who knows? Yeah. At the very least, I just want to say, I'm really happy that we're trending more towards the sort of British way of doing television where we don't have to fill 22 hours of television a year. Uh, some shows are still like that, but there's a lot of it. It's like, well, I mean, we can just have a, a 10 episode run for this show and we'll put it on, you know, either right after Christmas break or uh, during the summer or something because people's television watching habits are so weird and all over the place now that they don't have to like, you know, lock it into the old way of doing everything so we're actually getting shorter seasons now but i think that works out because we're getting more consistent storytelling and less garbage but yeah uh, yeah at least they're not doing 22 episodes per like daredevil or iron fist i do wish we would i wish we would stop doing cliffhanger endings on seasons because yeah. all, all that does is eventually it's going to piss you off. Because when the show ends and it ends on a cliffhanger, that is the most infuriating ending to a TV show. Like, you can't make me more angry than not resolving things. And You know what I mean? Shows deserve a final episode, for fuck's sakes. <laughs> well, none of these you, shows uh... have, have been, like, really canceled yet. So we'll have to see what happens when that occurs, whether they... Yeah. I was going to say, but they will. Some Someday they will, and it's impossible to predict when that will be. So it's yeah. smarter to, like, hint at another season without outright leaving it on, like, the precipice of something, you know? But I feel like Netflix is a good company where they would tell them, okay, we're not redoing the season, but maybe we'll give you, like, a two-hour movie or something to wrap up. <laughs> you know, whatever you got going on or something. Cause I know they did that. What was the, what was the Wachowski siblings show? The sense eight or whatever. Oh yeah. I never watched uh, it. I never, I never watched it, but I, I think they canceled it and then people got really pissed off. So they told them they'd let them come back to like do a movie or something to wrap it up. I don't know. I've had people cuss at me for not watching that. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, like like legitimately get angry. They're like it got canceled because people like you didn't watch it, and I was like, I don't even know what the fuck it is. And to be honest, I got a lot of stuff to watch. Don't don't fucking blame me because your fucking show got canceled. Like <laughs> fuck you. It's your fault, Noah. You're the reason Firefly didn't get picked up again. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Well, yeah, why don't you blame me for fucking Firefly too? I didn't watch that one. It's on either. Uh, uh. <laughs> All right, good stuff. All right, should we move on to uh, Ninja Turtles? Yeah. Already? Yeah, I know, right? Um, all right. So, 1990 movie based on the popular uh, cartoon and less so on the somewhat popular comic book that the cartoon was based off of. Teenage Ninja Turtles uh, for, well, teenage mutant ninja turtles that live in the sewer 
and uh, their their sensei, who's a giant rat named Splinter, uh, teaches them the ways of ninjutsu, and they decide to uh, venture out into the world of 1990 New York, which is still kind of dirty and grimy, but maybe not yeah, as bad. Uh, 1986 New York. 1986 New York? The movie's set in 1986 because Critters is in theaters. Wow, I didn't even catch that. Yeah, Raphael goes to see Critters. Well, well done, Doug. Well done. Well done. Which explains some of the prettiness because it hadn't they hadn't begun the cleanup yet. I never thought about that. I guess I always just assumed it was just like a repertory theater or whatever, but very much did seem to be a new release, so I will give it to you. Good job. Thanks. Um, <laughs> so they go out into the gritty 80s New York, and uh, turns out there's an Asian gang that's starting up uh, run by a guy named the Shredder who uh, hires Sam Rockwell to run this warehouse on this island out off the coast of New York. Literally. literally it's li- literally Sam Rockwell. <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, I made some sort of joke last last week that Noah did not get, and then we get a message like, holy shit, Sam Rockwell's in this. I'm like, I know, I told you, like, get it <laughs> Uh. Yeah, and so Splinter gets captured. Uh, they meet up with a reporter, April O'Neil, and uh, they decide to try to find Splinter. And I don't know. Everybody sort of knows the Ninja Turtles sort of scenario. Yep. Um, so I haven't rewatched this in a while. I'm not going to say, I feel like it held up pretty well. I still feel like the actual look of the Turtles is really good in this movie. I uh, agree. The. The practical effects hold up better than I anticipated them holding up. Yeah. And I feel like that is owed, of course, to the Henson Company, who did all of the uh, uh, suits and whatnot. Um, yeah. What? those. If, if you made a movie today with the exact same turtle suits and you just cleaned up like their ability to make facial expressions and stuff with a little bit of CGI... Mm-hmm. It'd be a fucking amazing movie. I don't, and instead we get the Bay Turtles. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let's uh, not talk about those. Yeah. Yeah. Even I feel like in part two, like the, the costumes or the suits got a little bit more. I mean, I don't know if unbelievable is the word. I mean, it's a movie about four giant turtles running around, but I don't know. This got less polished and I feel like more cartoony. Yeah. Which uh, I was not a big fan of, but um, so yeah, this it's their first uh, encounter with Shredder and trying to save Splinter and the Foot Clan. Raphael gets injured at some point, and they go run off to a farm to recuperate and sort of uh, uh, steal themselves for a battle they know is coming and stop Shredder from trying to take over New York essentially through organized crime. Um, did, does anybody does anybody know I was told by Alan that I had to ask who everybody's favorite turtle was uh, tie between Raphael and Donatello hmm. what about you Doug oh definitely Raphael yeah see well, I, I was guess, always 
Especially, always... especially like 1990 version of me that was like just a frustrated kid who hated getting out of bed every morning, didn't <laughs> want to go to school at all. It's like, yeah, I'll, I'll, the, the emo turtle that one was me. That's the one I <laughs> see. And I was always a Mikey fan. And I even liked him in this movie. So, well, everyone knows that oh. I am cool but rude, and that you are a party dude. So, yeah. it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so that's and totally... and occasionally I do machines. <laughs> <laughs> Now, did anybody realize? Does anybody know who voices uh, Michelangelo in this movie? Not off the top of my head, no. He's actually sort of a cultural, like, um, he was sort of a meme before there were things like memes. So, you know how, uh, like, when Fonzie jumped over the shark in Happy Days, then the term jumping the shark sort of became like that's when a show gets bad yeah. so that was sort of like a meme before it was a meme um, so the guy who voiced Michelangelo played Cousin Oliver on the Brady Bunch oh seriously yeah huh. Well, that's random. Poor kid. <laughs> I've always felt like of all of all the horrible things the world has done to children, one of the worst things we ever did was take like, take this poor child and blame him for the destruction of that show as if it was his fault, as if he wrote the scripts and hired himself to be the actor in it. Yeah. So, so yeah, he was. Uh, he's the guy. that's like, oh, the head of the cousin Oliver to this show. He voiced uh, Michelangelo, which I always thought was interesting. Now, also, we should mention this movie does fulfill our obligation of covering a Corey Feldman movie for every time he releases the name of one of his abusers. That is true. So we we take one off the list. We've, we've met that obligation. <laughs> Which, does that ever throw anybody off when they watch this movie and they're like, that sounds like Corey Feldman? <laughs> Why does Corey Feldman sound like a turtle? The thing is, like, in the early 90s when I would watch this and I was, like, just old enough to understand who Corey Feldman was and stuff, I'm like, I just assumed that meant Corey Feldman was in the suit. And then as, like, I got older and I didn't rewatch the movie, but I remembered that, I knew it was ridiculous that that obviously can't be Corey Feldman in the suit. So it took me a while to to piece together, like, oh, they use different actors for the voices and the, the, basically the stuntmen that are actually out there doing the fighting and stuff in these ninja suits. You know what the funniest thing is? Is I was actually thinking about that the other day, and if I had a time machine and somehow I finagled it so I was directing that movie, they would have been like, who are you going to get to play the Ninja Turtles? I'd have been like, the Goonies. All of the Goonies. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Wait, so one of them would sound like a really racial uh, Asian kid? Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) Probably Mikey. It's not like this movie is hesitant about being racist. Yeah, I know. This movie is plenty racist against Asians, so why not go a little further? Well, I know, but I'm just saying we don't need like Leonardo running around going, pitches of power, pitches of power. No, it would have to be Donatello, because you would definitely make the guy that knows how to fix shit. Oh, that does make sense. I fucked that up. That's a good point. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I just I was still really impressed with this movie. I feel like the fighting was still really good in it. Considering you got four guys in giant turtle suits, like that is incredible that you can get that decent of choreography with those suits on. I agree with that. I, I was a little let down by the lack of weapon fighting. 
because they had yeah. to kidify the movie and make it so that nobody died ever, despite the fact that there's constant fights going on. But I, I thought it looked pretty good, and I thought, especially the scene on the roof of the building where uh, where Raphael gets beat down. Oh, it, yeah. When they're like, he's down and they're like kicking him in the head and stuff, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, like you're... Like, it, it, it kind of reminded me of like when you're watching like a pro wrestling match or something, and you're like, "Stop doing that to him!" And then you realize, "Oh wait, this is all fake," and you remind yourself. And that's kind of I had that moment a little bit with this movie where I'm like, "Oh, it's a turtle suit. It, it doesn't matter if you kick it." Like it's. <laughs> yeah, it was, I mean, I feel like enough with the Asian Goonie, uh, Brian Tochi did the voice of Leonardo, so there was an Asian guy. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> um. Oh, I had a point, and Noah fucked me up. God damn it, Sorry. Noah. No, you're fine. Was, was um, it Elias Cotius as uh, Casey Jones that we also um, skipped over? <laughs> oh, trust me, we're going to talk we, about we, Elias. We were getting there, yeah. yeah. With his sweet hair. Um, oh, I was going to say, I feel like this movie is like almost like a combination of the cartoon with some of like the gritty original comic book thrown in. Oh, yeah. Obvi- yeah. Obviously, I mean... It's not as gritty as the original comic book, but I feel like because it's kind of goofy and funny, and they're all joking about pizza, and you know, oh my god, they said pizza, so he just comes flying up out of the manhole, which is hilarious and stuff. But then I feel like it does get really dark, like that beatdown scene on Raphael, like you were talking about. I remember when I was a kid, even just being like, "Holy shit!" Like they're like really beating the shit out of this guy. And then even like the fight with Shredder at the end, I feel like is a really dark moment too. But then you know you get kind of the goofy cartoon stuff to kind of gloss over that. Yeah, in the talked- comic books, that fight with Shredder ends differently. Yeah, very, very much so. But we've we've talked about this before with like these sort of late eighties, early nineties kid friendly movies. Is that they weren't they weren't afraid to go darker these were definitely movies that were meant to be watched by a family audience meaning they had to be entertaining for the adults in the room as well and they had to yeah. be willing to take those extra steps and so I, th- I think even this movie putting aside the violence th- there's a whole middle part of this movie where they escape to a farm and the turtles are just living together on this farm while Raphael's recovering from his injuries and we're spending time with these characters and getting to understand who they are and we get sort of flashback sequences to help us with that as well throughout the movie. And then we're also spending time with April and Casey and it's like, it's odd how much character time there is in this movie, which if it were just a cartoon, there'd be 12 more fight scenes mixed into that. However much of the movie was dedicated to them living on this farm. It's it's surprising how adult the movie is. It does have very cartoonish moments. Um, I think about like, Casey hitting uh, Raphael with the, the cricket bat and he flies up in the air and lands in the garbage can and you're like, that's straight out of a cartoon. But, it, I don't know, and it's surprisingly well, it holds together surprisingly well where those those dark moments, those cartoonish moments don't, they're not ruined by one another, right? You're not taken yeah. out of the movie by the cartoonish elements and therefore can't appreciate the darker moments. Yeah, yeah. yeah I totally they agree. Do, they do a really interesting writing the line between the comic books and the uh, the cartoon series in which I'm not going to go into all the details because there's a lot of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles history stuff that gets convoluted but uh, 
I found a lot of the choices interesting, so uh, I can't remember the character's name. Shredder's second in command. He's yeah. he's a character from the uh, from the comic books, not from the, the cartoon series. But he's kind of a ruthless bastard. And in the scene where he beats the shit out of the teenage kid, whenever he's having his temper tantrum, yeah, he kills. He originally in the in the script when they shot that, he kills that kid. And they edited in that voiceover of that other person going, oh, he's okay. Or something like that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. To to say that he's still alive because they thought that that was too dark out of all the darkness that's in this movie. (laughs) It's like, we can't kill a kid. Killing a child on screen is pretty dark. (laughs) But I think that is one of the, like, the kidified elements of this film is you don't think you see anybody really die. Um, Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert, even Shredder comes back for the next movie, so we know that that didn't happen. But there's very little of it anyway. Yeah, once once again in the comic books, yeah, it's a little more cut and dry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Leonardo takes his head off in issue three. Yeah, I'd always heard that. I've never actually read like the original run before. The, the one of the interesting things, and they kind of allude to it just a little bit in the movie, but they they pull back from it. Is in the comic books, you get the impression that Splinter teaching the turtles ninjutsu wasn't so much of a spiritual practice as it seems to be in the uh, comic books and in, in this movie, but he trained them in the lethal art of assassin ninjutsu specifically with the plan in mind of having them kill Shredder. Like, that was his entire goal from the beginning. He brainwashed four children into becoming weapons for his vengeance. Yeah, that's not how it plays out in the kid-friendly movie we're talking about right now. (laughs) No. (laughs) In this movie, it's almost like, yeah, it is a spiritual thing, and when when the time comes for them to start fighting crime. It's almost like that's just the logical progression of their training. Which I thought worked good enough. I mean, the movie picks up with them having their sort of their first fight and it's just we saw people doing bad stuff and we had to felt like we had to stop them. That's a good enough explanation for me. Yeah. I think all the all the fight scenes are awesome. The the like choreography and stuff's real cool. Uh, the characters are all awesome. They whitewashed April O'Neil again, but that's okay. Well, she she is in, in the in the comic books, it's kind of nondescript, but in the comic books, she's clearly darker complected and has really, really thick, curly, dark colored hair. So she looks like she's either maybe Hispanic or maybe like uh, like partially African American or even really really greek i guess she could possibly be but yeah she's definitely not a a white chick well they gave her a perm in the movie so she does have the curly hair going yeah i don't know if that makes you feel better (laughs) she does look like the girl from the comics i think that's what they were or from the cartoon sorry which is what they were going for yeah they were pretty successful in that which was kind of disappointing because this actress doesn't come back to play her in the next movie. Uh, they get some soap opera star to play her, which I was always kind of bummed about. Man. I think I think we can all admit that the second one's not as good as the first one. Like, 
no. the first one's really good. Yeah, I, I haven't rewatched the second or the third one, uh, but I, my memory of them is not that it was good. I remember so, enjoying the second one, but uh, I remember thinking the third one was a pile of garbage. Um, did anybody ever watch like the the computer animated uh, fourth movie, just titled TMNT? I haven't. I have not watched it yet. I've heard it's actually okay. I saw it in the theater. I remember thinking it was pretty good. And it almost, I mean, I say fourth movie because it almost plays like a fourth incarnation in the series. I think that's how it's meant to be taken. Yeah. Because um, there's a moment where they're putting something away, like in their trophy room or whatever. And you see, like, Shredder's helmet and uh, whatever that, like, uh, lantern pole thing from the third one is that teleports them through time and stuff. So, yeah. Uh, so Elias Codius, 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 whatever. Yeah. This is the first movie I remember him from. Me too. So for me, every time I saw him after that, I was always like, oh, it's Casey Jones. That's awesome. It was always <laughs> hilarious to me because he always plays those really like dark roles in movies like Apt Pupil or whatever. He's always like this like really dark character that's kind of always this like character actor that's not in a major role and every time I'm yeah. like that's weird that Casey Jones is doing that man like well, it's always weirding me out I, I think it's it's amazing that he does that he plays these dark twisted fucked up characters but then he'll be in comedies and play somebody so fucking outrageous and do it deadpan and it's the funniest fucking thing you've ever seen in your life <laughs> He's he is a talented performer. Yes. Yeah, I, I definitely think he's one of those guys that's too good of an actor to become a movie star, and yeah. he kind of he becomes this character actor because you can't sell a movie because of him. He's just too good, and yeah. nobody you don't recognize him from movie to movie. You can't do an impression of him, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So after I kind of got over the Casey Jones factor. He definitely is, I think, probably my favorite character actor. To the point where if I know even... I'm like, oh, that movie looks kind of shitty. Oh, but Elias Codius is in it. So I'll at least watch it for that. And then probably be like, yeah, he was really good. The rest of the movie was shitty, but at least he was really good at it. So I'm just glad I have this weird, like... (laughs) This weird childhood tie to to (laughs) Elias Codius and then... Every time I see him now, I'm like, oh, I really like him. But then, yeah. to me, they in do. my heart, he's always Casey Jones. Casey, I, I like Casey Jones in this movie, but they do end up doing that one weird 80s thing, which is now, with the way things are so inappropriate, of like, he basically harasses April O'Neil into being <laughs> in a relationship with him. Yeah. Like, Forces her into a, a back massage. Yeah, I was like... Yeah, this is weird. It, 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 it's so like, and it's such a dumb thing. But sensibilities have changed so much on that one topic that now seeing that you're like, oh, well, that was inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> I did like that scene though. He's like giving her a, a shoulder massage or whatever, and then you see Mikey coming in like rubbing his shoulder, like, ah, oh, man, just fucked my shoulder up. So the the joke almost is always oh, going to ask Casey to give him a massage. Casey's going to be like, no. 
and then April's like, oh, ointment? And he's like, no, no, no. It reaches in the cabinet and pulls out turtle wax and then just starts laughing. <laughs> oh, that Michelangelo. Always a wise crack. <laughs> yeah. It's such a cheesy joke, but it's like the movie knows it's a cheesy joke. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's like they're just like looking at the camera and be like, we know. I mean, yeah. we, we went there. We knew we were going there. We're just, just a well, and it is their way of, I think, also kind of nodding to the audience. Go, yeah, we know we're being very serious right now in this part of the film. We recognize that there's a lot of like guys watching their brothers suffer and hoping he he recovers. <laughs> but we still know we're making a movie about giant turtles. Don't worry, we're gonna we're gonna get back to that. That's gonna become relevant. Yeah, uh, I do like the fact that with Casey Jones, they do hint at in in the comic books. There's a running theme of Raphael and Casey Jones have kind of a interesting relationship where they kind of start off not liking each other and end up being the weird best friends who are really overly competitive with each other. Yeah. And you don't get to see a lot of that because obviously Raphael spends a good portion of the movie unconscious in a bathtub. (laughs) But I think I can see how it would play out given the way the characters are portrayed. You would definitely think like, yeah, if you put those two in a room together, eventually they'd be fighting on the same side because they'd both be trying to do the right thing. But they would definitely be almost like uh, Gimli and Legolas in Lord of the Rings that were like that, where they were, you know, like they wanted to one up each other the whole time. I could see that with these two characters. Yeah. And I liked how uh, we had that one scene with Casey Jones and Donatello trying to fix the truck. And they're just calling each other names the whole time. Yeah. And at first, you're just like, oh, man, like these two are being dicks to each other. But then you realize it's like a game. Yeah. They're going in alphabetical order. Who can insult the other one? (laughs) You know what? The relationship I really liked was uh, like with Donatello and Michelangelo. Whenever Leonardo and Raphael were going to fight, they just excused themselves (laughs) from the situation. (laughs) They're just like, this isn't about us. This is like, we're all willing to follow the leader. None of us really want to be on Raph's case about it, so we're all, we'll just back off and let these two argue it out again. Like it was, it, it was hilarious. And then, I mean, the like, one time in like April's apartment where they're just literally like kitchen, kitchen, <laughs> and they both just walk off. <laughs> they cut to them after the argument, and one's like pork rind, pork rind. <laughs> it, it is surprising that uh, Donatello didn't end up being the unconscious one in the bathtub. Because in uh, more more than one version, you know, there's obviously lots of versions of the Turtles by now, but in three or four, Donatello's always the one who ends up dying or getting crippled or <laughs> something terrible happens to him. Poor Donnie. In one of the latest iterations in the comic books, uh, Bebop and Rocksteady beat him to death with a sledgehammer. <laughs> Oh, that's that, doesn't, that doesn't sound like it's very fun. <laughs> he, I, I will say, in most of those versions, he does end up coming back as a cyborg. Because <laughs> well, oh, well, he does enough. machines. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. uh, did anybody, either one of you, watch the latest version of the Turtles cartoon on Nickelodeon? No. I can't. I can't do it. I hate that. That art style oh. fucking something rubs me the wrong fucking way I'm missing out it's really good did you say yes or no doug i couldn't hear you i said no sorry oh uh, um it's really good because i feel like 
we're at that point with all the stuff that we love growing up that people that are in charge of that stuff also loved it growing up. Awesome. So, like, this version of the Turtles I really enjoyed. Um, they, because uh, they do the whole farmhouse sequence for, like, half a season. Um, I don't remember what the storyline part of it was, but, I mean, they fought the foot or was it the Krang or I don't know. They fought somebody, and then Leonardo was actually the one who got really hurt. So they retreated to a farmhouse and hung out there for like half a season. Um, and the funny thing is, this is right when, because uh, originally Jason Biggs was doing the voice of Leonardo. And then <coughs> apparently, apparently he made some inappropriate joke on Twitter when that Malaysian plane disappeared. All right. And so Nickelodeon got pissed and fired him. And so they brought in Seth Green to do the voice. And it just happened to coincide with uh, with Leonardo getting hurt. So then they went to the farmhouse. And then after a couple episodes, like, he finally regained consciousness. And it's Seth Green's voice coming out of him now. And they're just like, man, you sound so weird. You're like, oh, he must have damaged his vocal cords in the fight. <laughs> and that's, that's just, like, the end of it. Like, they never bring it up again. That's awesome. <laughs> um. But they do one of my favorite episodes because, of course, like Noah said, there has to be fights at this farmhouse. Otherwise, you know, or maybe it was one of you said that they would have like, you know, 12 more fights at the farmhouse. And like if they did this movie today. And so, of course, they run into weird characters while they're there for half a season. Uh, But one of them is this guy voiced by Bill Mosley, who runs like a little roadside um gas station slash convenience store and of course he has a chainsaw like above on the wall like above the register that says the saw is family on the blade and uh and apparently he has a book which is very much the necronomicon because people around this area keep having dreams about these mutant beavers called dream beavers that uh of course, dream of course invade your dreams and terrorize you and two of them are voiced by robert england so <laughs> and then there's That's an episode awesome. that is a there is a literal uh sequel to big trouble in little china where essentially the ghost of lopan is trying to trying to get his uh body back or whatever and so is trying to conjure up some mystical you know whatever to make this happen and so of course the turtles have to stop them and when I say literal sequel they very much he looks just like Lopin from Big Trouble Little China and they got James Hong to come in and voice him so they literally were just does, like yeah. does the pork job express show up uh, it does not sadly not but you know I mean they just do a lot of fun stuff, and they do a lot of references to original turtle lore and stuff like that that actually, you know, makes it really good. And yeah, I had a good time. Uh, Pee Wee Herman also shows up as a cosplaying uh, pigeon who likes Dungeons and Dragons. Of course. Yeah. So. You really didn't have to finish that sentence. We all knew where that was going. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then our good friend Corey Feldman actually comes on to do the voice of Slash. Who is, uh, or Spike? Spike? Slash. I don't remember. The the snapping turtle? 
Yeah. Is that what you're talking about? Slash. Yeah. Who starts out as Raphael's pet turtle and then gets mutated into this, yeah, the giant snapping turtle and is voiced by Felpin. So, so I just like, sort of like, because the CW does this with all of their superhero shows where they find a way to pay homage to like all the versions of the characters that have come before by having like either actors from original series or stuff like that show up in the show. So if you ever get a chance, I would highly recommend watching the new Turtles show because it's actually pretty good. Um, from what I understand, they're canceling it and rebooting rebooting it with a brand new version of the show. So, yeah. yeah. Should the new version be just as good? No, probably not. Uh, it looks like it's more based off like the Michael Bay version, so... Oh, fuck. No. I'm going to mute myself for just one second here. No. Um, yeah, apparently Raphael is supposed to be the leader in this new one rather than Leonardo. Yeah. So, I don't know. Doesn't even make sense because the song was clearly said Leonardo leads. Yeah. So, I don't know how they can possibly go back on it now. Mother fuckers. Uh, also on the latest cartoon, uh, Gilbert Godfrey does the voice of Krang, or one of the Krang. Okay. <laughs> it, he doesn't even try to like do anything just, other than his Gilbert Godfrey voice. So, <laughs> Well, whatever he tries, he fails. So. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've heard that they come up with a good workaround for the whole Utron Krang thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh, yeah. I highly enjoy it. Everybody should watch it. Good times. Um, so yeah, I still really enjoyed this movie. Uh, I'm assuming both of you did too. Any? Uh, oh yeah. Any yeah. Sort I, of, uh, I, uh, I do. I, I do have some complaints that I noted, and I think it's important to get to them because, um, yeah, we just don't want to be here gushing and not pointing out this movie is far <laughs> from perfect. Um, sure. But the biggest things are. They, so the Splinter origin story, I don't know what it is in the comics, but in the cartoon version, he's a man who touches a rat and gets converted, and that's why the rat knows uh, jitsu or whatever, karate, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever martial art it is that the, the turtles are taught. Um, in the movie, they alter that, so it's a rat that taught himself <laughs> that taught himself martial arts because he was the pet of a martial artist, and I... then. Uh, Okay, so that's just stupid. I mean, I'm, I'm not... <laughs> no, no. Not, in, no, I agree in with the you. Comic book, in the comic books, he is a very smart rat that learns ninjutsu. Okay. And <laughs> and then gets mutated. Well, so that, the, is, that is a comic book origin. Right. But it's not good. Whether regardless of where I'm... They had two available to them to pick from. They ought to have gone with the other one. And it's like I was willing to overlook it when they first mention it, but then they fucking show the rat doing karate in his cage. And I'm like, I can't ignore that anymore. I can't just pretend that they didn't say that. Like that's in my head now, that visual of that rat in his cage, like trying to kick. This is this is one of those disagreement situations because that's one of the best parts of the whole movie. That's awesome. It's uh, it t- it almost makes it feel like they're parodying it um, and making a joke of the turtles rather than treating it seriously. Which is again my complaint with the last movie was that 
they couldn't decide whether they were doing like a serious thing or a real comic booky thing. In this one, they clearly went a little more serious, and that moment is just too far removed from reality for me. Uh, which is there's actually another moment too when they're the introduction of like suddenly they have magic and they can talk to Splinter while they're all out of the farmhouse and he's still chained up and held hostage by Shredder and I'm like I that shouldn't happen because then they're not just guys who trained in karate now they have magic powers as well which makes it unfair when they fight the other guys that don't have magic powers and we haven't seen any kind of magic before that moment so I thought that was I don't know those two moments those two moments specifically really pulled me out of the out of the movie and I thought just it's it's an easy fix to not have those there see I would I would say I don't I don't mind the astral projection moment either but I feel like it loses something because that seems an awful lot like a goodbye speech and if that was Splinter's death at that moment I think it would be more impactful than them having that whole, you know, him giving them the speech as he's dying and then ends up escaping and everything's happy anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah, he ends up being pretty pretty fine. Yeah, Splinter's the one that tells them to use the word cowabunga. That is a good point. But yeah, th- those were the two like the biggest problems I had with the movie. Was just those little moments. I also thought the movie needed more Shredder. I would have probably I, we alluded to him earlier. He wasn't a terrible character, but the uh, whatever Shredder's second in command, I would have probably just edited that guy right out of the movie and just everything he does, just have Shredder do it instead. <laughs> See, just, in, just in the comic books, he's a bigger character. Yeah, and that's and again, that's I I, I don't read the comic books. I don't really. I'm not worried about that. Watching this movie, I felt like it It seemed strange to me that the Turtles' first fight with Shredder was at the end of the movie. And had he had Shredder been the one that showed up to turn the tide in that fight where Raphael gets injured, it would have made more sense that they were going back to take revenge on him and all that. But for them to have not interacted at all until the very end of the film was a bit of a letdown, especially since the final blow in that fight goes to Splinter. That's just my opinion. I guess you're entitled to <laughs> contradict it. Uh, you know, th- those are just those were the things oh. for me though that took this from being a great movie down to being like a fun movie to watch. Yeah, I think the I mean, if if it had ended with the, like I said the same way that that fight ends in the comic books with Leonardo taking Shredder's head off, like I I would have been more okay with it because it's more of a the the whole Shredder thing in the comic books is more like their origin story of how they end up deciding that they're going to go up to the surface now and start doing ninjutsu to help the world or whatever. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I, I I just I don't I don't have a lot of complaints about it. I think they they rode a really fine line between goofy and gritty, and in the end, I like it. Uh, my big thing, the splinter uh, facial animatronics are some of the coolest effects I've ever seen. Like, it's still one of the coolest puppets I've ever yeah. seen in the movie. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, I think the, the effects are just, like, way better than you expect them to be. 
And I like I assumed that my memory of the good effects was nostalgia, but when I watched the movie objectively, I'm just like I think the effects are just really good. Like I think you could show this movie to modern kid audiences and they'd be really happy with the way the turtles look. Uh, yeah, I will absolutely. vouch for that because all my nephews grew up watching this movie because, of course, my brother had it on DVD, so my mom still had it. So they grew up watching it, and they absolutely loved this movie. Yeah. I'm looking forward to my kid getting old enough that I can show him this. What is he, about, about three is the age you'd recommend watching this movie for the first time? Yeah. <laughs> That's probably around the time I'm going to want to rewatch it again, so... Yeah, my nephews watched it, and of course they then proceeded to beat each other up. Uh, so, you know. That's the way it's supposed to be. Exactly. That's what my mom kept saying. She's like, oh, it's because they watch that turtle movie. They keep hitting each other. I was like, yeah, well, fair enough. Because they want to be ninjas. You put, you put little boys in a room long enough, eventually they hit each other. Yeah. That's how they become, that's how they become friends. <laughs> let, your, so, let your kids be ninjas, you heartless bastards. <laughs> Uh, anything else before we move on? Uh, high recommend. Yeah. Both uh, both as a fan of the cartoon and as a fan of the comic books. I think it toes the line pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I, I was very pleased. I, I had my complaints, but overall, I, was, I, I really enjoyed rewatching this. I think nostalgia is an obvious reason for that, but I think the movie, if you're showing it to the right audience today for the first time, I think people would really enjoy it. Yeah. And the right audience is everybody. <laughs> yeah, I still never watched the Michael Bay ones, so no. um, I just have a worry that kids are growing up thinking that's the Turtles and not realizing they're missing a better, older movie. Yeah, my my problem with them is I totally understand why kids would like the Michael Bay ones, mm-hmm. but not not only are they not good representations of the the Ninja Turtles that I love. They're just not good movies, and I don't like the idea of kids' movies being bad movies. Yeah. Because then they're learning that bad movies aren't bad. <laughs> I, I do think that that's an ongoing problem in our society, is that we are teaching... We, because kids will watch bad movies and not know any better, we've allowed the kid filmmaking industry to be just shitty and we just we just let them make bad movies and show them to kids and it's like don't do that teach them about good movies that's what I'm saying whenever I was a kid fucking Terry Gilliam was making kid movies god damn it (laughs) Baron von Munchausen you motherfuckers Uh, mine was Time Bandits but yeah Yeah. I I just grew up watching adult movies or not adult movies but that were intended for an adult audience. Oh, uh, yeah, that was me too. Yeah. Um, I always tell people, like, with, with like movies like The Dark Crystal and Labyrinth and The Neverending Story, and like those, those movies weren't just like kids' movies, they were humongous, ridiculous productions of special effects and animatronics and puppetry and all that. You know what I mean? And, and now it's just the CG bullshit. <laughs> what movies did you just list? Uh, Labyrinth, Dark Crystal, Neverending Story. Are you writing these all down on our list, Brian? No, I'm just saying. Do you know what? Like all of those have in common? Jim Henson. Jim Henson. So yeah. that's the problem. We don't have Jim Henson anymore. 
We got his daughter. His daughter's working on stuff. Well, his son is too, but you know, whatever. And and the uh, the kid in the stripy pajamas from Labyrinth, uh-huh. also now a filmmaker, and his production company is called Stripy Pajamas. <laughs> Go with your strong points. I like it. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to TheMidnightDriveIn at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. All right, we got uh, one piece of voicemail this week, or not so much voicemail as uh, listener mail. Um, and it turns out we had this a couple weeks ago because uh, our good buddy Eric sent us an email. But as per what seems like usual, I don't know what Eric did with his email address. Went to the spam. On the last forecast, it kept going into the spam folder, so we kept missing it. And he apparently got a hold of Doug and told him, hey, I sent you guys an email a couple weeks ago. And sure enough, it was in the spam folder. And that's two different email addresses, so that means there's something wrong with your email address, sir. Yeah. Gmail hates Eric. We all know that now. <laughs> um, all right. So Eric says, hey, guys, I've been meaning to contact you for a while, but I had to let my emotional wounds heal from Scott bailing on his Buffy watch after I recorded the bumper for him. If you see him, tell him I said hi and punch him in the face. I, I was going to do that anyway, so. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll see. I can probably make that happen. In that order. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Just, just Eric. Eric says hi, and then Coltcock before yeah. he knows what's going to happen. I was also disappointed when Brian told me you don't want to do voicemails anymore. I believe I said I don't think we're going to set up a voicemail line, but if you record yourself and set it in, we will still play it. Yeah. Uh, voicemail lines just a lot of work to keep up, but we're lazy. When, when I was asked about it, I said I don't know. Talk to Brian. So. <laughs> Uh, oh, well, you can explain to your listeners why you deprived them of the dulcet tones of my voice. Well, I just told you. Yeah, technically, uh, we didn't. You, yeah. can, you, can, you can record your voice and send it into us, and then when we find yeah. it, the spam account, two weeks later, we'll play it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I've been meaning to give Noah a bunch of grief because in the first episode, he kept repeating, repeatedly referring to Willem Dafoe, or Will, Willem Dafoe as William Dafoe. Uh, did you do that, Noah? Most likely, and I'll keep doing it. Because <laughs> Will is a stupid fucking name, and I'm not going to change my pronunciation because somebody's got a stupid fucking name. Uh, <laughs> however, he has since made up for it with the brilliant observation that Corey Feldman is transforming into Odo from Deep Space Nine, which is frighteningly <laughs> accurate. Ugh. <laughs> uh. Honestly, this week was the first time you've covered a movie since the show changed with movies I'd actually seen before with Dark Knight of the Scarecrow and Satan's Little Helper. Uh, You guys seem pretty dedicated to talking about awful movies, so I'd like to suggest that you try to work in Deathbed, The Bed That Eats, and Night of the Lepus. Also, I love your voicemail bumper of the show. Yeah, I've never seen it. 
deathbed is is a horrible experience, but we'll talk about that some other time. I I have honestly never seen deathbed the bed that eats people. Oof. It seems it seems like just my kind of thing. I've just never. Uh, you can thank Pat Oswald for bringing that back into the national yeah. vernacular. I feel like I need to see that movie, so uh, maybe yeah. we can edit it into a show one day, or else I can just do it, and watch, just watch it on my own, talk to you guys about it. <laughs> All right. Well, we need I really to... want them to make rape stove the stove that rapes people. <laughs> <laughs> we need a <laughs> that's Pat Oswald joke. Uh, <laughs> we need to. Uh, we need to come up with another sh- another movie with an inanimate object that eats people, and we could probably make this happen. Maybe the Mangler, Deathbed, the Mangler. Maybe we should team it up with a, a movie that has a chance of being good. Oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry, Stephen King. Mang- Mangler's got Robert England in it. <laughs> he says with a shrug of the shoulders, like uh, maybe. <laughs> Just because it's terrible doesn't mean Robert England's not in it. I don't know. <laughs> Listen, it's not like Robert England's been in several bad films. <laughs> um, also, he finishes up with, also, I love your voicemail bumper in the show. Who does the voice for it? Take care, Eric from Ann Arbor, a.k.a. Sexy Bald Man. Uh, our voicemail bumper is from Julie who does a show called 19 Nocturne Boulevard. Uh, and she does her shows almost like a radio drama, which means she's a lot better at doing her stuff than we are. So she was the first person I thought of when I thought of this idea of doing like a, uh, uh, the uh, uh, message machine, the voicemail machine or whatever, answering machine. Oh, why can I not think of that? Answering machine, uh, like at the drive-in that you would call to get that week's movies and times and stuff. And I'm like, Julia, that would do a really good job with this. So she's been super awesome. Uh, I just give her a list of movies and she rattles off all the movies and stuff in one big, uh, one big chunk. Cause we're actually following a list of movies this time around, which is weird upon itself, we're not, but we're not following a list. We have a list and we, it's oh, yeah, in a particular them. order. And then we just, don't follow the order so yeah yeah, yeah. So. uh i will say that that doug and i don't don't hear those voice bumpers before the show comes out so that's actually oh. one of the highlights of my week is <laughs> is playing the beginning of the shows to, to hear the voice bumper it is fun it's uh it really makes me feel like i'm on an actual show and not just like a bunch of idiots <laughs> in basements recording stuff <laughs> Yeah, Julie's awesome. I gave her uh, sort of the idea for just the general, because, I mean, most of the the voicemail bumper is the same. And then she just uh, does what movies we're doing, and then she's improv'd most of her little uh, tidbits uh, after the movies, which are usually always hilarious. Uh, I think my favorite one was uh, when we did Island of the Fishmen, and she did the... Uh, Fish finger special, which I thought was hilarious. Right. So she yeah, so, shines on her own show. That's the only she, problem. She really does. She really does. Um, it doesn't get enough credit. That's why I don't credit her because I'm like, she does good work. And people will go listen to her and stop listening to us. So maybe we should say who does it. Yeah. But since since Eric asked directly, I figured uh, it'd be a good time to 
to tell everybody, yeah, go check out Julia at 19 Ocker Boulevard. Um, she does awesome work, so as you can tell. Uh, all right. Does anybody else watch anything this week we're talking about? No, yeah, a couple things. Go for it. Uh, I got on a little bit of a Universal Monsters kick, so I rewatched uh, Dracula and then Spanish Dracula and, <laughs> and then Frankenstein Dracula. and The Invisible Man. Have you ever seen Spanish Dracula? Uh, no, I've heard it's actually better than the original Dracula. It, it, it is. Like, it's it's bizarre. And, and don't get me wrong, because, you know, I fucking I love the original Dracula, but Spanish Dracula, might, it's good. It's really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. I watched that. Then I finally caught uh, Chappie, the yeah. uh, AI robot movie from a year right. or two ago, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, I liked it. I actually heard so much negative stuff about it. It kind of like put it off for a while, and it's one of those, I don't I don't understand what everybody was bitching about. It's like it's a sci-fi movie about AI. The ending's a little odd, but yeah, yeah. the ending was my really my only complaint about it. I enjoyed that movie quite a bit. I watched it however long ago. I think in the never aired first episode of the last Horrorcast that Scott and I recorded as a. Kind of a practice run, I think it uh, that we actually talked about that movie. So that's how long ago I watched it, but I enjoyed it quite a bit. We still haven't seen it yet. I thought it looked like a high tech uh, remake of Short Circuit. Yeah, it is. <laughs> why, why are you saying that? Like it's not a good, not a positive thing, though. I I wasn't. I, it's it, well, number one, Short Circuit does not need to be remade. Because uh, it's gold upon yeah. itself. Yep, but it's a high tech remake, so it's not exactly <laughs> the same thing. No, I don't. I don't see that as a negative. I would because I actually like uh, Blomkamp, so I'm more than happy to watch it. I just haven't had a chance yet. It, it now, since you said the words, I have to say, Uh-oh. Los Locos kick your ass. Los Locos kick <laughs> your face. Los Locos kick your balls into outer space. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, that was Short Circuit Two. Yes, Not nearly as high quality as the first one. Uh, both are pretty fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I appreciate you bad mouthing Short Circuit too. I just, I just say it's not as good a quality as the first one. There's no Gutenberg. There's no feel like It's short feel, of Gut. And I feel like Fisher Stevens' racial uh, racial play of a uh, Indian man is uh, turned up to eleven in, in part two. Maybe just because he has more screen time. You know, I had no idea that guy wasn't Indian until I was like thirty, right? Like it's like my entire childhood. I'm like, oh my god! Like, does is everybody from those movies? <laughs> is, is every character I remember is that was like a black guy? Was he just really a white guy and really racist makeup? <laughs> is that what the '80s was? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, no, that's exactly what the '80s was. Uh, and, and then finally, because I was watching. Uh, a sci-fi movie. I decided to rewatch Event Horizon, and oh, yeah. it's still just as disturbing and jacked up as the first time I saw yeah. it. Like, man, that's a I good saw, horror movie. I saw that shit in the theater, and I just remember when they go to the video of what the crew was doing when they were in the other portal, like in the portal or in the other dimension or whatever. Mm-hmm. 
I just remember like sitting there with my mouth on the floor, just like, what the fuck? And just being completely disturbed by what was going on. Yeah. I man, love that movie. Uh, arguably, like, as, as far as sci-fi horror goes, it's on par with Alien. Like, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's either Alien. Yeah. That, and, and that's that's a hard thing to say because, you know, Alien's such an, like, transcendent, awesome, you know what it'd be, next level shit movie, but the Event Horizon's right there. I don't give a fuck what anybody says. They, same shelf. Like, Yeah. Yeah, I think that's... I, I, should, I should rewatch that one. Yeah. It's been a long time. Yeah. Fucking Sam Neill, man. He made some of the best horror movies. Right. That's to remember. I'm trying to remember because, like, I'm what what movie was Sam Neill in before Event Horizon? Uh, the Mouth of Madness. Or do you mean like right, r- right before Event Horizon? Because I was thinking he was in a big like family ish movie. Jurassic Park. Was that about the same time? Uh, that would have been ninety three. Yeah, what, 98? Something like that? Yeah, yeah that's probably right. Because I do remember seeing the trailers and being like, oh, it's a horror movie with the Jurassic Park guy. <laughs> 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 yeah, and uh, then going to see it and being like, oh, sweet Jesus! <laughs> no, yeah, so he was in Jurassic Park in 93. In the Mouth of Madness in 94. Um, and then Event Horizon in 97. I mean, he did some other stuff in between there, but nothing like. Yeah, I'm assuming I've got a list of movies I need to rewatch. <laughs> I bet I saw in the mouth of madness after I saw it in Horizon, though. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I ended up renting in the mouth of madness. And then yeah, that's not again. Because I know I saw it completely. again. Stood there going, "What the fuck?" While I watched it, so. <clears throat> yeah. Um, anything else? Uh, that was that was it for movies. Uh, I watched a couple of TV series. I don't know if they're worth talking about. Uh, I started Lady Dynamite on Netflix, uh-huh. which is Maria Bamford's yeah sitcom TV show thing. Yeah, it's in my list. And, I haven't watched it. And uh, are are you really familiar with Maria Bamford? Uh, I've seen like, some of her stand-up specials and stuff, but I mean, you know, I'm not like a super fan or anything. Okay, well, well, you know how schizophrenic her stand-up is. Yeah, it's that in a TV show. It's like funny at times, and at times like unbearably unwatchable. Like it just gets mm. fucking weird because it's almost like s- situational comedy. That the situations aren't funny, so I don't. It's I watched four episodes of it, and I don't think I'm going to finish it. <laughs> Fair enough. But that sucks though, because now it's going to be sitting in your Netflix. Continue watching for oh, yeah, that damn bucket. <laughs> shaming, shaming me for not finishing. The completionist shaming. Uh, I tried to watch that. 
animated show, Big Mouth. And yeah. I, I was really not a fan of that show. But that's it's, I don't. But it's very, very good, though. Why don't you like it? I don't know. I just you don't like good uh, things. I guess not. You don't enjoy laughing. How much? How much of it did you watch? Oh, first episode. Maybe you should give it three episodes. <laughs> See, I hate that because then if I don't like it, I'm like, well, I watched three episodes of this bullshit and I don't even like it. But you I should probably just, just learn to like it because it's so good. Yeah, it's it's really really funny. I don't understand. <laughs> I don't know. The the uh, hormone monster gets so fucking out of control. <laughs> I, th- I think we can all agree this is a flaw in Brian, not a flaw in the TV show. That that, sh- that show is is very good, and you're wrong for not liking it. <laughs> all right, fair enough. <laughs> that sucks. I remember the good old days when I'd say shit like that to Scott, and he'd lose his mind. <laughs> what? <laughs> Scott, it's all you. subjective. Fuck you. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> is is that it? No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's all I got. I don't. Right. I don't. If if there was anything else, I'm sure it'll pop in my brain in the middle of something. Uh, Do you watch anything, Doug? Uh, just a couple of things here. Uh, I watched Colossal. Have you guys heard of that one? Yeah. With Anne Hathaway, mm-hmm. and it. So, for people who don't know, it's basically uh, about a girl who's like down on her luck, so she moves back to her hometown. Uh, coincidentally, there is also a giant monster attacking Seoul, South Korea, uh, and she learns very early on in the film that she kind of is the giant monster. Whenever she wanders into a particular spot, the monster shows up halfway around the world, and whatever actions she does, the monster does the exact same thing. So there's literally scenes of her like holding her hand over her head and the monster's holding its hand over her head. And unfortunately, lots of people have died because the first couple of times she wandered in there, she was drunk and just fell over. And when the monster fell over, it landed on buildings and stuff. Um, I was expecting a very lighthearted kind of comedy type film with this, but it gets really dark. Um, and not dark like the monsters killing people dark. It ends up being this like person on person conflict between the Anne Hathaway character and the this is named Jason Sudeikis, the Saturday Night Live guy. Yeah. He plays like her I don't know, high school friend who she reunites with when she comes back to town. And it starts out as sort of just a, a fun little relationship that they're having and his character undergoes a turn at one point in this film and he just starts down a dark path and it is really impressive how the sort of how the actor is able to just kind of become this like evil person on screen while he started out kind of very likable uh, I would definitely recommend this movie don't go into it looking for a monster movie even though it's about a monster it's really about these people and their relationship and how dark it gets Um, what attracted me to it is that it was directed by Nacho (laughs) the guy from Time Crimes Um, that's that's what made me want to watch it and it does it, it gets into those same kind of dark weird territories of like 
what are the characters' motivations and why are they doing the things they're doing? That time crime's kind of half explored, I think, a bit. Um, so this sort of does it as well. It ends in it ends it ends with a fun twist. I thought it was a fun twist, uh, but it it does the film does get quite dark. There's I don't want to spoil it, but there. Are, the way that that character, he becomes very possessive of the Anne Hathaway character, and watching it is, like, uncomfortable at times. So I, I'd recommend it, it. Think of it in terms of being a dark drama, more so than any kind of a horror movie or anything like that. But... Yeah, I want to um, say it just hit Amazon Prime. It's on Netflix here in Canada. I don't know if it's what that means anywhere else in the world. That's true. He's better than us, Doug. Um, I don't know if Amazon Prime. I, don't know, I thought I just saw it somewhere. Uh, it's definitely been on my list. I've definitely been wanting to see it. So I'm going to have to check it out soon. Yeah. Like I say, I mean, there are some fun moments where it's just there's a giant monster and when the drunk girl falls over, the giant monster falls over. Ha ha ha. That, those are fun moments, but what I was most impressed with was the Jason Sudeikis character and his dark turn and the way that all played out. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. The other one I watched is Brawl in Cell Block 99. Oh, that's been on my list to see too. Yeah, and that's, again, that's another one I watched because of the director. He's the Bone Tomahawk guy. Yeah. I don't know his name. Um, mainly because I didn't think uh, you cut out there Doug oh sorry I, I didn't hear anything after Bone Tomahawk guy alright so I watched the movie because of Bone Tomahawk guy and yeah. basically the beginning was a little rough because Vince Vaughn is trying to do dramatic acting and he's mm-hmm. not great at that and he never has been even though the early part of his career that's what he kept thinking he was going to do um, but the movie just gradually, it's, it's all about this character, played by Vince Vaughn, who's basically he's a former boxer who's kind of like down and out. He, he's, he's driving a tow truck when we meet him at the beginning of the movie. And as things go wrong in his life, he keeps making the wrong decisions. Um, and he just, his life just spirals downward and downward and downward until he ends up living in the cell block 99, which is the worst part of the worst prison in the, in the area. Um, so you kind of just follow him on that journey. But the movie's really well made in the sense that it is this like slow, dramatic film with these sudden like just bursts of extreme violence that pop up. And when those moments happen, they're so cool to watch. Like There's a lot of just hand-to-hand fist fighting in this movie that just comes seemingly out of nowhere. And it's just, it's very violent, it's very visceral, it's very fun to watch if you're the kind of person who enjoys watching that. And, you know, there, there's several arm breaks in this movie where you're just like, oh my god, like, the, you know, those, oh, those, like, tinge moments. And so, very well done. It kind of reminded me, I think, of, I'm trying to think, like, Drive was like that, where it was, like, sort of just, there's a movie going on, and then all of a sudden, for a few minutes, there's just this, a lot of violence happening on screen, and then it's just back to come. And in this movie, like every time there's violence, there's a consequence to that violence, and then it happens again, and the consequences keep getting worse and worse uh, until this guy just 
paints himself into this really bad corner. But yeah, definitely a recommend. I don't want to say much plot-wise as to what happens, but I would say if you, if you like that this type of movie, these sort of dark, slow-burn movies that follow a single character on his journey, I think it's a good one. I think most of the violence works. Some of the effects were a little off, I thought, but you just kind of got to let that go when you watch low-budget filmmaking sometimes. Nice, yeah, I'm definitely interested in checking it out. So, I'll just figure out how to watch that one, too. Vince Vince Vaughn's a pretty hard sell on me. The reason it took me until now to watch this was because of Vince Vaughn. Like, I've never enjoyed him in any of his dramatic roles. Like, I liked him in some of the comedy stuff he did a bunch of years ago. I thought in old school he was really funny. But... And like I say, the early parts of this movie before he, I mean, the movie has cell block in the title. I'm not spoiling anything by saying he ends up in prison. Pretty much before he ends up in prison, I had a hard time with his character. And that's the first, I want to say, almost half hour of the film. Once he kind of gets into prison and things start to get darker and the violence kind of becomes a little bit more common, then I start to kind of forget that I wasn't enjoying his role. Because he does a surprisingly good job at playing the, the violent fistfight character. Hmm. And he does have a really cool look going for him in the movie. He's got this like tattoo in the back of his head, and he's got a shaved head, and all this. And it, it looks pretty cool from a distance. If he didn't know who he was, I think he'd be very intimidating. Nice. Uh, anything else? Matt, that's all I had time for this week. Yeah, uh, the only movie I watched this week was Baywatch. Okay. Uh, which I'm not going to say is good. I'm not going to say I recommend it. Uh, I laughed, but I mean, that doesn't mean anything. Uh, sometimes you just need candy. You know, you don't need stuff that's good for you. And this, this movie's chock full. Uh, I will give it credit because uh, Zach Efron's character throughout the entire movie, as things are escalating, and, you know, these lifeguards are investigating these murders and drugs and all this stuff uh every time we hit a new level he just is like guys why are we not talking to the police we are lifeguards and they keep saying oh the police ain't gonna do anything we gotta we gotta do this we gotta protect the bay and he's just like the call the police and like nobody like listens to him which i thought was pretty funny um but uh, yeah, I mean, it's a whole. It's, it's exactly what you think it is. It's The Rock in Baywatch, and it's completely over the top and nonsense. Um, so uh, David Hasselhoff does make a cameo, which is enjoyable, and uh, as does Pamela Anderson. So, I mean, you kind of expect those two to show up, and I think you'd be disappointed, especially yeah. if Hasselhoff didn't show up. Yeah. Uh, he plays uh, the Rock's mentor. His name is his name is also Mitch Buchanan, which of course was Hasselhoff's name on the original Baywatch show, uh, which makes it even funnier. So, um, yeah, I mean it is what it is. If you want to watch Baywatch, go watch Baywatch. But you know, don't you're not setting yourself up for an evening of intellectual c- cinema or anything. Just enjoy it for what it is. 
I like how you're kind of doing the old like, I yeah, watch it, but don't blame me if you don't like it. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> you, you know what you're going into. Yeah. Here. You're watching Baywatch. I mean, you know what you're doing. Come on. Um, the only other thing I guess worth really talking about is on uh, AMC, um, Robert Kirkman started up a new show called The Secret History of Comics. Uh, oh, I've heard of this. Yeah, and if you're a fan of comic books and the history of comic books, this is the perfect show for you. Uh, my wife is really into it because she loves like uh, just learning about stuff that she sort of knows a little bit about. Because she really likes all the Marvel movies and stuff, but she's not like she doesn't read comics, so she doesn't know like all these sort of backstage stories of how all this stuff happened. So she's really enjoying it so far. Um, the first episode, because they've had two episodes so far, the first episode was all about how Marvel sort of became Marvel, but it especially focuses on the relationship between Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Uh, the only thing I will say negative about the show is they definitely do not really go into... Uh, uh, I mean, they say stuff like, well, Jack Kirby was unhappy, so he left to go, you know, do something else, blah, blah, blah. When it's like, no, nah, realistically, Stan Lee was being a huge dick and uh, pulling a bunch of shit on Jack Kirby, which is why he left. Um, so they kind of gloss over a little bit of that more scandalous side. And it may be because they actually have, like, Stan Lee, like, sitting doing interviews for this documentary. So maybe they're trying not to, you know, piss him off too bad i think stan lee has a bit of a working relationship with amc as well yeah he shows up on comic book men and stuff like that so i think it'd be yeah plus he's just he's just one of those untouchable heroes right now i don't think people yeah i mean the guy's in his 90s what's the point of bad mouthing him at this point yeah uh i mean they definitely i mean they did talk about sort of what their disagreements were and stuff but they did not frame it in such a way that stan lee looked as bad as he probably actually was during that whole situation. Um, but it was just really interesting sort of hearing all the back, backstage stories about him and Jack Kirby and stuff. And uh, The second episode was all about the origin of Wonder Woman. In uh, this one, they had no problem talking about all the scandalous stuff, which was that uh, the man who created Wonder Woman... Um, lived with two women was living in a polyamorous, polyamorous yes. relationship <laughs> yeah. yes uh, yeah living with his wife and mistress in the same house or lover or whatever you want to call her um, and was uh, kind of into uh, was a bondage and like all this other stuff and yep. so but was still like a really big like feminist and had a really like uh, great sense of when writing Wonder Woman of making it a very female centric book obviously I mean the two women had a lot to do with that as they helped them with the stories or whatever uh, and then uh, also is famously known for creating the uh, lie detector test which is why if you look at all that stuff and then look at Wonder Woman it's like oh okay well that makes sense uh 
so they talk a lot about that and it was just really cool and then i love sort of the, how they were talking about how when marston was writing the book uh wonder woman's like very much held it as like a feminist character and like you know just does all this great stuff is a good role model for women you know she's not like a damsel in distress uh does all these great things for women's roles and then when dc started doing justice society which also had wonder woman in it at the exact same time <laughs> they didn't know what to do with her so they made her the secretary of the group and so there's like these two like we shouldn't be laughing about that i know but it's like these two conflicting versions of wonder woman out at the exact same time and then you know and marston passed he passed away pretty young like 54 or something of cancer and so every version of wonder woman after that for a long time was just horrible and just you know not done very well and so they just reflect a lot on that and stuff which i thought was a really cool uh story because i do like the surface story of everything but really diving into it and getting specific i thought was really cool um next week's episode is supposed to be about the creation of superman and how dc fucked over siegel and schuster so um i'm really looking forward to that one so it's a really cool like uh Show if you're, DC you're in the fucking up a, a fucking over creators that never happens. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, so if you're really in the comics and like sort of the the stories, how all this stuff came together, I know from the previews they're doing an episode about Image at some point, which I'm really have always been fascinated with that story too. So uh, it's definitely a show I'd recommend uh, everybody check out. This sounds like something uh, I might like to watch. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Tell us what we're doing for next episode. Uh, next episode, we are doing Street Trash, which is an awesome, exploitative, <laughs> uh, just messed up movie. Uh, and one of my favorite movies, Freaked. What is the it has Rastafarian eyeballs with machine guns. <laughs> okay, I was not informed of that when I agreed to do this movie. <laughs> Wait, that's a negative for you? I think it probably is. <laughs> uh, interesting. Uh, so what's the correlation between these two movies? Why do we put those together? No. no, nobody knows. Uh, you know what? I can't remember. Oh, maybe there wasn't one. They were already on the list together when I agreed to do them. So, yeah, yeah, we came with the list so long ago. I don't even remember what uh, what the reasoning was for putting them together. Uh, I'm sure. Horrible, horrible mutant people. Maybe. Maybe. I've never seen Freak, so I can't confirm the Street Trash. Definitely has horrible mutant people in it. Well, that's that's freaked. Freaked is a. Oh, we'll save it for next week. There <laughs> 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 are Rastafarian eyeballs with machine guns. You know what the fuck that means? Uh, you'll find out. Yeah, I don't. Because like we never intended. I mean, we put Punisher and Ninja Turtles together because they were both comic books. 
And then when I watched The Punisher, I was like, holy shit, it's about a hero who lives in the sewer and strikes out against an Asian gang. Like, I had no idea that they went this well together. Yeah, I completely yeah. forgot that he lived in the sewers in this version. So maybe that'll be uh, next week, too. We'll just be like, oh, there's like this whole giant theme that they go together. We didn't realize it. Beautiful through line. Probably. <laughs> Freaked also has Quaid the Ugly in it. Who? Randy Quaid. Oh. Uh, see, why'd you tell me? Now Now I'm expecting it. It could have just been a surprise. Because <clears throat> now when he shows up, I I'm think, just going to be like... I think everybody deserves forewarning of the presence. Because <laughs> <laughs> now when I see him, I'm just going to have a picture of they, him having sex with his wife where she wears a mask of uh, Murdoch on her face. (laughs) You want to fuck me, Murdoch? I'll fuck you. (laughs) What happened to you, Rainy Quaid? Jesus Lord. At least we'll always have Dennis Quaid. Actually, Dennis Quaid's kind of gone off the deep end, too, though. Don't, don't, don't ruin it. What'd he do? I don't know. Oh, he's just not crazy or anything. I just feel like his acting has gone downhill. And then... No, well, that's fine. He was in movies. <laughs> actor. I I thought you were going to be like, well, he became a Scientologist and then murdered yeah. his girlfriend. <laughs> I like how that's what would make him the same thing as his brother. <laughs> well, you got to do a lot of shit to be Randy Quaid. <laughs> you can't kill. I mean, you're going to have to fucking eat somebody. Uh, There's no, like, Randy Quaid tried to become Canadian because he thinks that there's people trying to kill him, right? If he moves back to Oh, yeah, yeah. That's part of his craziness. It was hilarious because he literally was like, well, I got to move to Canada. He he applied for, like, as a refugee. (laughs) Oh, yeah. He called them the Hollywood Whackers. Claimed they killed Heath Ledger. the The Star Whackers. The Star Whackers. He said they killed Heath Ledger and they were coming after him next. He said they were going after like him and Britney Spears. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, who would ever put you two on the same list? It <laughs> makes sense. See, now I'm just imagining a giant whiteboard like in the office and they just have a line through Heath Ledger. And like, well, we got Ledger, so I guess we can move on to Randy Quaid. Guess makes sense when you think about it. <laughs> You know what the craziest thing is? What if what if twenty years from now we find out that like along with the pedophilia and stuff that's going on in Hollywood, that there there literally is a cabal of execs who like plot and murder these people in order to increase their share value. How could, like what would be even the like what's how do you say that? It's like who would what would be the benefit to killing? <laughs> killing well, cousin Eddie? Like, what do you, what do you prevent him from making another unauthorized sequel to Christmas Vacation? Well, I was going to say that's that's the whole thing with him. There, there is none. But I can actually understand the argument of there's a lot of people who just as their careers seem to be like petering off all of the sudden they die and the sales of their movies and shit go back up through the roof. And I'm not saying that there is a cabal of people murdering people, but I can 
under. I'm saying there's not. Well, I'm just saying I could understand the justification of it, if that makes sense. <laughs> like, like the reasoning why somebody would be like, you know what? If we murdered River Phoenix, <laughs> give him some drugs that are laced with something. You know what? In today's world, though, like that wouldn't even qualify as a scandal. Like that person would be like kicked out of Hollywood for murder, and then like three years later, they'd just make a comeback movie. It'd be fine, right? <laughs> that's that's going to be the top thing tomorrow. And they're like Weinstein, also murdering people. Oh shit! <laughs> Did you ever watch yes. Overnight? Did you ever watch the documentary Overnight? <clears throat> Uh, I don't think so. Uh, it's, a, it's a documentary about the guy who made uh, Boondock oh. Saints. Yeah, okay, I've seen that. Um, and how like he just went from like working at a bar to making Boondock Saints. And originally it was uh, Harvey Weinstein that picked up a script. And then the guy turned into a colossal asshole. Uh, oh, yeah. So the deal was they were going to make Boondock Saints... Uh, the band he was in was going to do the score for Boondock Saints, so they were also going to get a record deal. And then his friends were filming a documentary about the, about all of this. They would put out a successful documentary as well. So they had all this planned out. Turns out, he pissed so many people off that the documentary turned out to be a documentary about his, his rise and very quick fall in Hollywood. Um. Hey. There are scenes of him literally screaming into the phone at Harvey Weinstein's assistant because Harvey Weinstein will not take his call. And then eventually, like, Weinstein, they just drop him. Like, they don't even want the movie, so they just get rid of it. And then uh, he finishes it, and they're at a premiere at some film festival, and ironically, not on camera, of course. He claims a car just came careening around the corner and tried to run him over. And he's convinced that Harvey Weinstein had hired someone to try and kill him for angering him. Yeah. But yeah. The thing is, that's like the situation where everybody would be on Harvey Weinstein's side. Yeah. Because the guy was a colossal douchebag. <laughs> but then you find out Harvey Weinstein's raping a lot, tons of women. So then you're kind of like, well, maybe I hope they both oh. die. So it'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Basically, his uh, his filmography has been relegated to. In '99, he did Boondock Saints. Yep. Then, 2009, Boondock Saints two. Yep. Mm-hmm. And he's slated to be a director on a Boondock Saints Origins TV series. Yes. <laughs> Basically, if he yep. owns the rights and they can't get them away from him, they'll let him keep working on it. In 2015, there was a TV series called Luminous that apparently he directed some episodes but wasn't credited. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you should watch the documentary. It's fascinating. He literally has everybody, like, wanting to talk to him. Um, He's hanging out with, like, Mark Wahlberg and shit. And, like, I think Patrick Swayze comes to his bar and, like, they're hanging out. Like all this shit's going right, and he's just like the talk of the town. And uh, let's just say, let's just say, by the end of it, the very last shot of the documentary is him taking a smoke break from working at the bar that he originally worked at again. So it's 
It's both sad and infuriating, but it's a pretty awesome documentary if you get a chance to watch it. It's so frustrating, though, because it's just one of those things where, like, you're, you were just handed an opportunity. Yeah. And you just blew it because you're too much of a dick to yep. just do it. Yeah. He gets asked to speak at a film school, so he comes in and basically just says, none of you are going to make it. And it's just like, which, sure, may be true, but way just to be a colossal douche about it. And specifically points out, like, oh, I know you won't be able to handle it. And he just, this isn't, he not even talk to this kid, he's just looking at him. And it's just like, you're a dick. That sounds an awful lot like uh, what's, god damn it. He's a he's a writer. He's written a bunch of uh, superhero movies. Uh, Dave Goyer. Yeah, Dave Goyer. Did he write Superman and all that? Yeah, yeah. That motherfucker has gone to a bunch of like conventions and stuff and given the most prickish answers to fucking questions. Like it makes you like I would hit him in the face. Be like, he's just a fucking motherfucker. Some people are like that. Yeah. Some people can't handle they were, success. They were doing one because they were talking about him doing Justice League and stuff and the fact that Martian Manhunter isn't in it. And so they were going around the round table and each person was given a superhero and asked what they would do to make the movie. And his was Martian Manhunter. And he goes... Well, first of all, who the fuck even knows who the fuck the Martian Manhunter is? And of course, you know, the entire like place erupts in cheers. And then he goes, yeah, but how many of you have ever had sex? Ooh. And it's like, what in the fuck? And then he goes, well, first of all, you're not going to call it the Martian Manhunter because that's a stupid fucking name. So it's called like Manhunter or something like that. And then basically he goes on to basically say he would make Martian Manhunter not be Martian Manhunter at all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And somebody else was doing... In... Movies that are not always good. Yeah, and somebody else was talking about She-Hulk, and he butted in while the other person was talking about She-Hulk and basically said that She-Hulk was just a male sex fantasy that... He goes, all, guys all want to be the Hulk, and so who's who's better than the chick that you know that could take getting banged by the Hulk? And it's like they're fucking cousins, you fucking creepy piece of shit! Like <laughs> you know nothing about comic books. It's probably yeah. a fair assessment. Somehow he gets to be involved in making all these movies that we don't. You're right. And pretty much most of the ones he's written have been like critically and the fans have like panned them and been like, these are shit. And he keeps getting hired. I don't understand why that happens. Yes, yeah. they just nobody gives a shit what the fans think of the movies, apparently, which is weird. Yeah. They make a lot of money. No. At least DC doesn't. I think Marvel seems to yeah, be really good about going. Well, people seem to like that. Maybe the next one we should try a little bit well, more of that. I kind of like the the story that's out there. Everyone's talking about how like Kevin Smith said some stuff about Thor being like played out, so they made changes based on that. Because like Chris Hemsworth happens to listen to Kevin Smith podcasts apparently, and I'm like, on the one hand, I don't know that we want to be giving Kevin Smith that kind of power, but on the other <laughs> hand, it's like he he is a fanboy. 
and he is like a very loud mouth version yeah. of us. So if he's out there saying these things, a lot of people probably agree with him. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't let Kevin Smith direct a superhero movie. No, that's probably not a great idea. Him. Well, Kevin Smith has gone on record that he would not direct a superhero movie because he knows he's not good enough to do that. Yeah, so... I don't know. I I just think it's... I I was having this discussion again with somebody today. It's like, the reason Marvel is successful and DC is not is because Marvel stays true to their characters and DC just turns their back on their characters at any given time when they... you look at the whole Superman thing. It's like they've completely abandoned the concept of Superman, mm-hmm. and they're just making this new version of him that is not not what Superman's all about. And surprisingly enough, people don't like that. And it's like, well, yeah, because they're showing up to see a fucking Superman movie. If you want to make this different, weird emo superhero, make a different, weird emo superhero movie. Don't make a Superman yeah. movie and make it that way. Yeah. Oh, like I've always said, plus, Super, Superman works better in the context of him being a uh, 1930s character. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, if, if I were, if, if I had all the power and I was making the DC Universe, the first movie would be a period movie set in the 1930s or maybe 1940s with Superman and then have it, like, jump through time, like, have Batman set in the 80s when Batman makes sense. <laughs> like, but, like, like a, a fascist, a fascist asshole rich superhero makes sense in the 80s. Yeah. I, I, I still also don't know why DC feels the need to try and keep up with Marvel as far as creating a universe. Just make standalone films. Problem solved. They don't have to be a franchise, right? You could just make a Batman movie tomorrow where it's just, okay, Batman's out there and here's a cool story about him fighting this supervillain. Yeah. Nobody would care that it's not part of a, not a sequel. Nobody would care that it's not an origin story. It's just, everyone knows who fucking Batman is. I think the, I think the, the pain in the ass thing is, is they do work better with the, uh, with, with the addition of the other character, you know what I mean? Like, like Spider-Man having Iron Man just in there is that, that secondary, you know what I mean? He's not a main yeah. character. He's just like a background person. It, I, something about it, it makes it work better. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you can't, you can't do that with standalone movies. Not at least not in the same way. Yeah. I feel like there's no threat of continuity. I feel like they're not doing enough as far as Marvel does because they're rushing everything. Whereas Marvel took their time. They gave everybody their own uh, movie. And then the sort of goosebumps moment is when they all finally come together in the one movie. And that's sort of the formula that worked. Whereas DC is like, okay, we did Superman. Now we're going to do one where... Superman and Batman fight, and then also Wonder Woman shows up, and now okay, the next movie is just going to be the Justice League movie where we're going to introduce like four more new characters, and they just don't. I feel like they're rushing too much to, to get to that point, rather than taking the time to set all those characters up so that when they do all meet, it actually matters rather than just having origins in the middle of team movies. It's kind and of the funny thing is you can do it in one movie. 
I mean, Justice League New Frontier is the best animated superhero film that's ever been made. Yeah. I don't know if I agree with that, but I do think it's good. I'm just trying Uh, to compare it to, like, The Dark Knight Returns two-parter. It's like, whatever. That was good, but I just, I don't think it, I, I think that New Frontier kind of stomps it into the fucking dirt. I might, have, I might have to rewatch New Frontier. <laughs> That's another I, one of the list. Yeah. Now, when uh, Captain America: Winter Soldier came out, me and uh, uh, my good friend El Goro uh, talked about it, and then we talked about how Captain America: Winter Soldier is like the best super Superman movie because it seems like the problem they have with Superman is well, we gotta we gotta modernize them. We can't have them be like the the goody the goody two shoes guy that you know shows up to everything, and I'm like, if you look at Captain America Winter Soldier, that disproves everything you just said. Yeah. Like, yeah. you have somebody who has those morals and that outlook, and you find he feels like he doesn't fit into the current world, but then you show why he's important in this setting and why the world needs someone like that. That's how you make a Superman movie. Where yeah. they just did the emo dark version of Superman right off the bat, and I'm like, that doesn't yeah, make in, any sense whatsoever. In Winter Soldier, they literally take half the movie to point out that their main character, his core moral values, don't make any sense in the modern world. And by the end of that movie, they turn around and go, "Yeah, because the whole modern world is wrong, and our character is right." And mm-hmm. in Superman, they went the other way with it, where they're like, "Well, his." He's, it doesn't fit the modern world, so we're going to change the character to update him to fit the modern world, and it, it yeah. doesn't work. And that's yeah. because these characters exist for a reason. They're iconic for a reason, and we don't always know exactly what that reason is, but there's something appealing about them, so don't change them. Yeah. Don't go back and fucking screw with them. Just leave them the way they are, because th- that's what works. That's why these people are so famous that you want to make movies about these drawings. Yeah. I do I do love the fact that Marvel too, it seems like no matter what direction they go, they like fucking nail it. Because <laughs> Winter Soldier and let's say like Guardians of the Galaxy mm-hmm. are so fucking different. Like oh, those yeah. those movies could not be more different if they tried. Like Winter Soldier is a spy action movie and Guardians is like a comedy high adventure. Oh sure. And and both, and as far as I'm concerned, I, I think they're they're the, the two best. Those are the two best Marvel movies so far. Mm-hmm. Like Guardians Two is good, but I don't think it's good in the same way that the first one was good. I agree. With yeah, that. I think the first one took everybody by surprise, which I think is part of it. You yeah. weren't expecting anything going in, so when you had a blast, you were just like, "Oh my god, that was such a great movie." But then you sort of have ex- expectations going into the second one. And, you know, maybe the expectations weren't dashed or anything, but, I mean, you still had expectations going in, which I think immediately is going to make it not as good as the first movie. I will I will admit that the the second Guardians made me shed man tears, and it's not very often that these superhero movies really, really get under my skin. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Again, Marvel. Marvel just knows what they're doing, and DC is like all over the fucking place. I was hoping. 
I was hoping that because Jeff Johns Justice League is the first one Jeff Johns is on is sort of like the the sort of the Kevin Feige of the DC where he's going to be the one in charge of making sure everything works the way it's supposed to but from everything I'm hearing he did not do a good job with this movie so we'll uh I guess we'll find out but I was hoping this would be like a good reboot point for the DC universe where they could just kind of get on the right path but I don't know I, I just don't know if you can fix this universe. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's Batman vs Super, Superman was so offensively terrible and bad that I just don't know that anything that's connected to it can ever be mm-hmm. salvaged. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the Flash movie is supposed to be Flashpoint, so they could just reboot everything. Yeah, because why but, not? At that point in time, you'd have to admit that your universe is so terrible that in the first movie in the universe you were already planning the reboot yeah <laughs> because the i just references there I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what is as much as i i do not like ezra miller i like i don't fucking like him i don't like their version of the flash it's no, just i'm not doing it but if they tell me that jeffrey Dean morgan's gonna play gun batman yeah i know in flashpoint i'm gonna go see that fucking movie yeah i mean i'm gonna see it anyway but you know yeah. I have like I'm gonna go see Justice League probably, but I'm not like excited about it. Whereas <laughs> I was Thor, talking to somebody about that today. They were like, What time are you going to see Justice League? And I was like, I don't know, I'm gonna go see it this week and they're like, You're not going opening night? And I was like, No, it's fucking it's DC. D- they fucking suck. <laughs> yeah. No, we rearranged our recording schedule to go watch Thor and opening night. <laughs> yeah. Fuck, fuck Justice League. Yeah, it's yeah. DC. I'll go see it during the day tomorrow. Like Can you can you fucking imagine, though, five years ago, if somebody said, okay, there's going to be a new Thor movie that comes out and a Justice League movie that's well cast and has a and it's directed by Joss Whedon, and you're still more excited for the Thor movie somehow? Like, <laughs> yeah. See, I don't... How poorly they DC has done with their universe that that's what the results are. It's the odd thing, I'm not a huge Joss Whedon fan. Like, I don't, I don't hate him or anything, but... I think that the Joss Whedon stuff in Marvel is not the strongest Marvel stuff. I think the first uh, I mean, Avengers is really, really good. Yeah. The second I think it was really good when it came out. Yeah. yeah. I, I haven't watched it recently. I almost bought the Blu-ray yeah. today, but I'm like, it's on Netflix. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I like Joss Whedon. I just don't know if doing I feel like his own creations are more or better stuff that he does than playing other people's toy boxes I agree with that like like Buffy and then the Buffy spinoffs (laughs) yeah hey those are his creations sure Um, wait did he did he do the Buffy movie he he wrote the the first Buffy movie and then was not okay. allowed to direct it, and they completely fucked it up. Yeah. And when he was able to get the rights back, that's when he went and did the TV show in the version that he originally wanted it to be. I didn't I didn't know that. Yeah, that's cool. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater.
And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. Good night.